Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is for us. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with Darren. And this show is so big, we need it too to fill in for Sarah, who will not be a part of the four. Uh, for her own personal reasons, we miss you. Come back anytime. And Andrew, for today only, how are you two doing? Doing good. I think you, uh, I think you oversold the exciting bit based on what we heard in the run up, but hey, we'll see. Work, work with me. Okay. I'm working here. <laughs> okay. Uh, we do have a very exciting topic, uh, to talk about. The topic actually is exciting, exciting, even if the, um, the subject matter that we're reviewing itself maybe lacks a certain dynamism. Uh, we are talking about revival today, and in particular the Asbury revival, but I think that we have some things to say, some questions to ask about revival in general. And so uh, I'm glad to have two great minds to explore this subject with. Now, we do have two videos. I mean, it makes sense. We've got two guests, two videos. That's how it works, right? Anyway, uh, this Asbury Revival thing, which started in early February, I want to say February the 8th, it was a Wednesday, uh, whatever that Wednesday uh, was. It was normal chapel service at the Asbury uh, School of Indoctrination of Young Minds. Um, whatever it's actually officially called. And uh, it was it was just a regular old mandatory chapel service. Chapel, for those of you who are not in, uh, in tune to the language that Christian schools use, it's just another word for mandatory church service. So they were <laughs> they were having a chat. By the way, if their church service was so interesting, so good, so powerful, why does it need to be mandatory? Um, anyway, hey, never mind all that. Uh, it was a chapel service, and uh, the short story is after the chapel, the students, the students, students, the students spontaneously decided to stick around, and they just didn't leave. And the Holy Spirit started doing stuff. And we have the Asbury Revival. Uh, so we are going to play you the sermon. The sermon. That was the impetus for the Asbury Revival. And so you don't get the good part. You don't get the revival itself until you get the sermon, which has to be great because it started off this fantastic, amazing worldwide movement what could possibly have been said to start all that? It's so much more disappointing than you can even imagine. But you don't have to imagine it. You're going to hear it. First of all, uh, Darren, uh, do you have any thoughts about revival before we jump into this? Because you did not grow up with a church background. So all you know about revival are things that you've heard from people and what you read on Wikipedia. What what is what is your understanding on revival? Um, 
Well, from the quick definition I just looked up prior to uh, this podcast, <laughs> um, apparently a revival is a bunch of uh, lazy Christians getting the Holy Spirit back in them because apparently they lost it. Okay. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I don't think that Christians would put it exactly that way. Andrew, how would Christians put it? Well, we talked about this earlier this morning, and uh, no, we didn't. We're doing a show. They don't know that we talked. Just edit, Andrew. What would Christians say about revival? Uh, Christians would say about a revival that the people that set up the revival are part of the remnant of Christianity that exists as a golden thread through history attaching the unsaved to the scheme of redemption that includes as its progenitor Jesus Christ as our as our Lord and Savior something like that um, we in the Church of Christ didn't have revivals in the sense that the Asbury revival uh, supposedly is um, there, there's some supernatural elements, miracles and whatnot. We didn't have that, but we certainly had tent meetings. Um, and, and so I'll leave it there so that we can, so that we can go a little further with the video. Okay. And, uh, I will just come in and say, uh, revival is in fact, all of that and maybe more. So there are two, uh, distinct lines of revival. Uh, Baptist, Southern, Southern Baptist Church of Christ, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, when they talk about revival, what they usually mean is what the Church of Christ would call a gospel meeting. We wouldn't use the term revival because that was denominational. Don't ask, folks. It, this, this is just how we thought. And, you know, other denominations use that term. And so that's that's not a good term gospel meeting that's what we use same thing same thing um we also didn't use the term altar call by the way we had the same thing anyway uh so a revival in that very conservative sense just meant uh an outreach effort to an, an evangelistic outreach effort and uh, you you would hire a preacher uh, usually from out of state, the further away, the better, the more expensive, the airfare, the more prestigious, the preacher, uh, they would come in, they would preach for a week, uh, at night. And so church would meet every day that week before the revival, the churches would canvass the neighborhoods and that would be their kind of their, their, uh, evangelistic drive. And they would, you know, knock on doors, put up flyers, invite people to, you know, their, their revival and, uh, you know, try to try to get some new members added onto the books. So that's one definition of revival. And the other definition, the one that we're going to be working with, uh, today is I think closer to the one that Darren, uh, looked up on the internet. Yay. Internet. Um, this is a revival in a sense that, um, there is a movement of the Holy Spirit afoot. This is, this is kind of the idea 
that that there is going to be a renewal of the spirit in this particular area. So it wasn't so much about the growth of an individual congregation as much as the spark of a new movement. Uh, often new preachers are launched during major revivals uh, in this sense. A new teaching is often launched during these revivals. Um, and it's a place where the Holy Spirit uh, is active and somewhat visible throughout and creates something new and exciting and different. Uh, this is kind of the Pentecostal idea of revival. And as Andrew uh, stated, uh, Churches of Christ and other uh, conservative churches didn't do revival so much in that sense. So we will have some questions and commentary along the way, but I, I just wanted to set that up as we look at the latest revival that uh, that has hit the news, the Asbury revival. And with that, we will let the preacher take it away and show you how revivals are born. And I'm back. Hey, neat. My fear anytime... I'm led in worship by a crew like that, that all of a sudden the sound booth is gonna be like, I'm gonna get this dude and unmute my mic. And then it'll sound like stepping on a dog. Like, you know, like, so I'm glad you didn't do that. Thanks for that. <clears throat> um, we're gonna continue in in Romans 12. That's the star, okay? God's word and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. That's what we're hoping. Uh, like I said last week, and I'll continue to say anytime I get to stand with you guys, uh, I hope you guys forget me, but anything from the Holy Spirit and God's Word would find fertile ground in your hearts and produce fruit, okay? So, last time, did I forget my clicker? Oh, God. All right. I'm not going to do this very often, but the beginning, the, the awkward unfunny uh, beginning. This is what you're in for, folks. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, it's right here, y'all. Big green sign. Mm. Awesome. Last time we talked, Becoming Love in Action. You guys are in a series of Becoming Love in Action, and we're in Romans 12, 13, and 14. Awesome. I know how to count. And Romans 12, 1 through 8, we talked about or, uh, yeah, one through eight we've talked about. Uh, Dr. Baldwin talked about verses one and two, about an act of worship, being conformed by God, not of this world. I came, and last Wednesday we talked about verses three through eight, and we talked about the cost of pride, comparison, and competition. And then we invited ourselves to, to practice and lean into gratitude, understanding all we have is gifts, and asking the question, who are we looking at? Are we gazing upon Jesus or are we gazing to the left and to the right? So we continue to have this conversation about love and becoming love. And what is love? So I'm going to ask you a really conceited, maybe awkward question, okay? Do you love me? 
This might be awkward. Look at the person next to you and ask them that question. All right, all right, all right, all right. Look to the other person and ask, do you love me? All right, cool, 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 cool. Okay, uh, guys, are you awake? Uh, the only great awakening uh, that would be happening in a service like this would people would be people actually waking up. Um, at the uh, at the invitation song this is these types of uh things darren uh you may not realize this but in a lot of churches this is very common where there's some part in the sermon where the preacher asks you to say a thing to the person on your left and on the right this is about the time in a sermon where i would find a reason to get up and walk out and pretend to find a bathroom and and just not re-enter the room <laughs> I don't. I have no idea why uh, this became a popular move uh, in in homiletics, but it it has always been so terribly gross. And it, I don't know what effect they're trying to have, but I have never seen a positive effect from this. Andrew, I know that you've been in uh, a number of sermons where this kind of thing is used. Do you have any thoughts, or are you still asleep? I do not hear you or or you. Did something happen in my system that blew things up? Well, um, <clears throat> there you go. Hang on just a second. I'll make a good edit point here. Okay, Darren. So is the asking back and forth is just that is that just a way to try to get audience participation or something like that? I have no idea. I I, I honestly don't know. I I think there is some sense of this is going to um make make you more connected to the sermon more involved and it probably goes along the lines of uh using powerpoint presentations uh in sermons uh you know we'll we'll give we'll give people something to look at uh so that they can follow along uh yeah and uh, andrew had to go and so it's it's this idea that somehow uh we need to increase engagement uh, through some kind of artificial means back before PowerPoints, people used to print out handouts and the handout. Uh, yeah. Do you remember those uh, badly done um, team building exercises back in the eighties? I'm pretty sure that I was a victim to every one of them at some point. Yeah. It's almost like someone got that idea from the eighties and just never updated it. Yeah. And you know, now that I think about it, the whole slain in the spirit uh, motif where somebody falls backwards. Th that reminds me very much of the trust fall uh, thing that was a part of team building activities. <laughs> so um, you can find a lot of that 
in the church. And when you, I've, I've said this a few times, most sermons are not as interesting as the ones that I play on Sunday sermon. The vast majority of sermons are really boring. The vast number of preachers are really bad at their craft. And they have to do things like this to try to artificially goose engagement. And it, it, there's, it's a sign that there is something wrong with what you're saying and the way you're saying it if you've got to do this sort of thing to kind of fake people's involvement. Let's uh, uh, go ahead. Do they have like a like a checklist they have to check off when they're doing these sermons or something like that? Well, um, not really. Uh, we there there are usually a few bullet points, and um, you know the sermons last twenty to thirty minutes. Thirty minutes is considered the high high side uh, these days, so they get a little shorter and shorter. They have. PowerPoint presentations, and then some kind of antic like, you know, say this to your neighbor, um, things like that. It, it just, it feels so corporate and fake. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that this is the point where God breaks into history and does a, and does a powerful thing. But let's, let's see if the sermon gets any better here. All right. Hey, just a, this is sneak peek. If that's the first time you've ever talked to your neighbor, fix that. You laugh, but for real. But the question is, is do you love me? I know Nick loves me because we're buddies. And I buy him wings sometimes. <laughs> hopefully, he said hopefully. <laughs> so but when you're a you preacher up there, do you ever... Do you ever fear that you'll get a bunch of no's shouted at you when you ask a question like that? Uh, not me. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, look, I uh, I was preaching for a long time before before I stopped, and so from the time I was a, a child, uh, I I knew how I I understood the craft uh, pretty well uh, by the time I matured into it. And so, uh, no, I, I knew how to get exactly the response I wanted, but just in case I didn't, I was, uh, I was always very quick on my feet. So I was, I was never going to be, uh, blindsided. So that, that's just a, that's just a skill that you learn over time. Uh, and that's just probably a, the same as comedians, right? Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's, a, it's the same as comedians. Hecklers. Even when you, uh, hit a joke that doesn't land, uh, you can you can still move forward. Now, to be clear, I'm no comedian, uh, lousy comedian. I'd be lousy at stand up, but uh, it is you you rightly identify that it's the same kind of skill that you learn. Uh, you know how to handle an audience, and your ability to handle the audience has nothing to do with whether your joke is funny or not. And in sermons, it has nothing to do with whether you know you've made a good point or not you it's it's just a matter of managing the stage time right daniel fusco a pastor in the pacific northwest he says the the problem with the word love is that everyone says it or does it but without christ abiding in his spirit receiving and giving 
it's actually not love. It's wrong. These are some things I love. Corto Lima. Anyone been to Corto Lima downtown? Tremendous. Downtown Lexington. I live in Lexington. Downtown Lexington. Best tacos. They have this thing called Papa's in La Lata. French fries, cheese, jalapenos. You can get smoked pork on it. You start speaking in tongues, it's so good. <laughs> or just because the spirit falls, but that's cool. Manchester Coffee Co. Anyone? Ever at Manchester? Yeah, he, they're not paying me for this, but they could if they wanted. I love dry cappuccinos. They make a good dry cappuccino. Or Sorella's Gelato. You have to be careful in Lexington. Sorella's Gelato, owned by these two twins from the Czech Republic. Uh, they are remarkable. They give me and my daughter free gelato all the time. I love gelato. I love coffee. I love tacos and Papa's Linlata. But is that different than how I love these people? These are my girls. Right? Do I love tacos like I love Mercy, that, that mighty baby in the middle? Do I love dry cappuccinos like my beautiful wife, KP? Do I, do I enjoy and delight in gelato like I do my daughter, Esther, who's in heaven? Or do I love speaking in chapel like I actually really, really love Eden May in the top right corner? I got home late last night. I was preaching in Columbus, Ohio, and I just climbed right into bed with uh, Eden because I love her. So do you, are you guys tracking? We... We say love about a lot, right? You guys might love like the hot chicken sandwich day and the calf. Like that's not the same. It's not the same. So as we go into Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, we're going to talk about love. Okay? So Just out of curiosity, did I hear him right that if he's saying that the only way for someone to love is with Jesus, does that mean that most of the world doesn't love? Well, yes and no. Uh, so he's talking about uh, the, I guess it's the Greek word agape uh, love, this idea of um a, a special kind of love among people, not to be mistaken for brotherly love, but something similar to that. But one might define agape as saying a godly love. Uh, so if you define agape as godly, then it seems that it requires a god. But if you uh, define agape as something a little bit more generic, then it wouldn't require a God. And it really depends on the speaker as to what they mean. But I, I think most of the time they mean something generic, but they add a religious flavor to it. So how does one tell if they've got a divine love? Do they count like? number of dopamine particles in the brain or something like that 
you know, you only get uh, over 20,000 if you've got divine love under anything under 20,000 is just uh, secular love or something like that. I'm, I'm just going to say uh, no. Uh, no, <laughs> no, they, no, they have never had that thought, uh, Darren, that uh, that conversation has never been held uh, in any uh, preachers uh, seminars ever. Uh, but thanks for asking the, uh, the next, uh, preacher's meeting on that. I'll be sure to bring that question up. You stood for the scripture reading. We're going to stand again. And then at the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of God and we believe it. And you'll say, I'll say, this is the word of God. And then you say, and we believe it. If you do believe it, if you don't believe it, be, uh, honest, but I'm glad you're here. You still wouldn't Let be glad I was be there. Hypocrisy. We could just stop there, right? Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in the spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is writ written, written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. And we believe it. Awesome, you can sit. Okay. Uh, thanks. I was sitting anyway. There was um, a part of uh, this uh, toward the end of that reading where it says, uh, "Don't uh, you know? Don't re repay evil uh, with evil, but evil with good." Uh, and in so doing, you will heap coals of fire over their head. Uh, now, it's been a while since I've uh, studied this particular passage, and it only came to mind. Uh, now, so I don't have anything particularly interesting to say about it, except the way we used to interpret this passage when I was in church. And I imagine there are other ways to interpret this. If you have an interpretation of this skeptics and seekers dot squarespace dot com, sign into your discuss account and discuss away. So what we would say is when you do good things, for someone who has obviously treated you badly, then it makes them feel ashamed and, uh, and not just ashamed, but angry, kind of angry shame. And in that way, it's like heaping coals of fire over their head. I mean, if you really want to get them, and, and make them feel bad and twist the knife, then do something good for them. <laughs> so so it, just, it just seems like that's a, that's a twisted motive to do something good <laughs> for 
for people, but I have heard many preachers say this across denominations. And so, you know, just assuming that that is wrong, I'm curious to hear, you know, how, how your denomination has read that skeptics and seekers at squarespace.com. Uh, Darren. Well, I was just wondering, so if I go to his house, pull a gun on him and tell him to give me all his money, he's according to him, he's supposed to not only give me all his money, but all his food and everything as well. I, I think that's how it works. I, I okay. you know, unless he has another gun handy, in which case he's fully justified in blowing you away and sending you straight to hell. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. It was, but it was Christmas. If I pray the, while, uh, just before he pulls the trigger, though, I'll go to heaven, though, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know how this stuff works, but I'm pretty sure it was Christians who gave us the uh, uh, self-defense defense. So it's probably okay to just kill the person if you're able to do that or uh, shoot and injure the person and make sure that he's dragged away and thrown in a human uh, animal cage for the rest of their life, you know, or whatever the Christian God is telling you is right to do at that point. Uh, and then if you're the one pulling the gun, if you want to roll the dice on praying uh, just before you are blown away, that's uh, that's on you, man. <laughs> I personally don't think it's a good strategy. <laughs> 13 verses, 30 commandments. How are you guys feeling? How are you guys feeling? Yeah, you're like, you're like, I got all those down. You know, what this is like is this converse, this congregation is as bored as we are. So I know that what you're what you're thinking is, so when does the revival start? When when is <laughs> when, when is the revival stuff gonna start? Stay tuned. Try not to miss it. Well, to be I, fair, the stuff he's going over is pretty dry. I'm not sure even uh the most charismatic person could make it interesting. Right. Well, well, they they could do better. Uh, <laughs> trust me, there's better. Don't, don't, don't be confused by thinking that this guy is one of the worst. No, it's far, it gets far worse uh, than this by miles. Uh, but I'm just saying, this is standard fare. This is, this is stuff you hear every week is not delivered particularly well. Um, th there's nothing groundbreaking about these passages. There's nothing uncommon about these passages. These are passages that most Christians have heard uh, many times. And so I'm just wondering at what point in this sermon, the turn comes where the Holy Spirit says, yes, this is it. This is when I'm going <laughs> to, this is when I'm going to do my stuff. Listen close. Always loved by choosing the other person's preference before myself. I've never been a hypocrite. How are you guys feeling? Dude, this morning, I had preference over my wife. Like, I wanted to sleep in a little bit more, but she had been up with the baby. Like, this morning, what about you? See, he says that as if that's some kind of sin that he's confessing, as if that is somehow an example of how he's an imperfect human being who's falling short of the glory of God. And that's just insane. That's, that's just insane. You wanted to sleep a little longer, um, 
And so you're an evil sinner worthy of hell? What the what the heck is that all about? Well, isn't that sort of the whole point of women in the Christian religion? I mean, isn't the man over the woman and she pretty much has to do whatever he says? I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know where he's going. He's, I don't know. 13 verses, 30 commands. This is just some of them. Even if we didn't read those, if you're sitting in this chapel and you're like, oh, awesome. What are you like? What emotion are you feeling right now? Boredom. Yell it out. Boredom. Anxiety. Joy. That's cool. No, that's all. That is cool. What? Exhaustion. Contempt. Because it looks kind of like a to-do list. I would be overwhelmed. I maybe would feel even guilt or shame because I don't do this stuff. Well, I know the heart of God is not one that would heap guilt and shame on us, right? That I know that the word of God corrects and, and, and uh, coaches us, but this might feel like, I feel that way when I look at this passage. You might be like, well, I'm new to this whole thing, or I don't, I don't know Jesus, or I didn't study this passage. No, like I have studied this passage. I have been walking with the Lord now for 16 years. Many people in this, this room has, lo- has loved and walked with the Lord longer, and they sit and say, whew, how do I do this? We're, we're not only called, like ethereally, we're called to love those in your community. That's, that's those you, you guys, Okay. How do you guys love one another? If that was the scorecard, if that was the to-do list, and then you applied it on how you love others on campus, how do you do? Then, those who persecute your community. So the people that make fun of you, the people that think this is all a farce, that think this think is a waste of time. Making fun of you is considered persecution. Right, that's um, uh, good. good catch. Um, it's absurd. I mean, Christian. So this this just kind of goes along with the, the theme. This is something that Christians do commonly. Uh, they will exaggerate a thing to make it seem bigger or more spiritual. Kind of like he's he's confessing his great sin of wanting to sleep in a little later, right? And you're and you're wondering why? What do you sin? This is this is the stuff that you think that uh, is is burdening God. Uh, and so, uh, by the same token, uh, you know, when, when people uh, make, make fun of you for believing batshit crazy things, and that, that's, that's now persecution on, on, along the lines of people who are beheaded for uh, expressing faith in the wrong God. Um, yeah, you know, beheadings or... Teasings, same thing, right? Same people thing. People who comment yeah. on your post and say, I mean, "It's not, it's not an equivalency fallacy at all." People, stop! Don't even, don't even start writing. It's the same well, thing. Apparently, now people that comment on your posts are persecuting you too. Well, so, I, I, <laughs> so, I, you're not going to make me do it. Uh, let me just say that uh, if you have been following the discussions on the board, you might find that uh, there are some, uh, you know, people, persons of, of faith who seem to um, 
have a goal of getting you to say something harsh so that they can get their persecution points for the day. I'm happy to oblige, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> if you would like some persecution, <laughs> skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com, just come on the board, be an asshole, and you will receive the persecution that you were after. I am not ashamed. There's plenty <laughs> to go around. But um, if that's, I mean, if that's your idea of persecution, and if that's, you know, if that's getting you a better mansion in heaven, I, you know, it's all so trivial. Yeah, uh, you can be the Oprah of persecution. You, <laughs> you, you get, get a persecution. persecution. <laughs> I do my best. I'm just one man, but I try. Stupid. Like, I don't. Those who persecute, same list of how to love them. How you doing? Oh, and then not even those who like post on your uh, post on your posts, comments on your posts, but those who are like literally anti you. I you know, like the church is sometimes anti gay. I was just talking to anti trans uh, missionaries and anti black person marrying white person Syria this morning. Anti, oh, you get it. And they are loving their enemies. They just had a missionary killed. And they are going to the neighbors in the neighborhood where that missionary is killed to serve them. Enemy love. That's something that's unique about the Christian faith. We are called to love our enemies. How are we doing? And then this one. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, which is like hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This is agape love. This is the first time in Romans that the vertical perfection of agape love, there's a Greek versions of love. There's agape, phileo, eros, which is the word erotic comes from, and storge, okay? This is the first time that the Apostle Paul is saying, now I'm not talking about vertical love when I talk about agape, I'm talking about how you love one another, this perfect love, God-like love. Phileo is brotherly love. That's why Philadelphia is the city of so, brotherly love. Godlike love? Yeah. So if I have godlike love, that means that if I'm seeing someone raped, I should just sit back and watch him be raped? Since that's what God does? No. Actually, when the rape is done, you should kill them both because the woman didn't scream loud enough in the field. Well, get, yeah. Get, get but, your love straight, my man. Or do I feed the rapist because I'm loving my enemies? Well, that depends on if he was raping your wife or daughter uh, as to how much love points you would get. But yeah, you would definitely, you know, probably want to ask if he was okay and treat the scratch marks uh on him he got because those those things can sting i'm pretty sure and uh then you want to uh show him the back door and explain the ways that he can go so that he can escape the police um i don't know i i've, I've <laughs> so i've said this before um if if your philosophy is love your enemies then you are either greatly confused about what love is or what enemies are.
Yeah. <laughs> that's why we get the word erotic, and that's actually the Greek word of take, like steal, which is the selfishness of porn. And storge is like familial love. When you have. So, how is porn stealing? <laughs> I have no clue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you, you've got to realize I've heard this before and these little you know it's like an earworm in the back of my head I, I I thought yeah that's not worth interrupting but now it is I don't I don't understand um it's one thing to say that you believe that you know erotica is wrong because of you know lust or covetousness or, or something like that. I don't see how it's stealing. I don't see in any way, shape, form, or fashion how it how it's anything like that. So uh, if you're listening to this, this sermon, folks, and uh, you're hoping for some clarification on that point, none is forthcoming. Kids, you'll have storge love. You'll have motherly, fatherly love. In some other translations, it says love must, they don't use the word hypocrisy. They use the word sincere or genuine. So, the word hypocrisy comes from this Greek root word that's a word used for actors or in theater back in the day, right? Because in theater back in the day, they didn't have like backstages, it was just big open air theater. Has anyone been to Greece or Rome? See these big amphitheaters, and they walk in, and there's nowhere like you can hide and change, right? So someone would come on and have like three masks, because they were gonna like put one mask on, put the next, ma next mask on and another one because they were playing three characters. Does that make sense? That's what the word hypocrisy comes from. It's like, it's polluted. It's, it's not all of the same. Multiple masks. Has anyone experienced that? Well, they're Christians, so yeah. I have. Mm -hmm. If we're a community, let's, let's engage. Have you guys experienced that? I have been a hypocrite. <laughs> I know. Multiple times. Wow, wow that is... That is world-breaking news. It's polluted news. love. It's selfish love. And some of you guys have experienced radically poor love. Like evil love. Selfish love. And I would say today, we should not even give it the honor of calling it love. Yeah, they just call it God. Some of you have experienced mm -hmm. things that should not have even been titled love. Some of you guys know my story. In my childhood, I experienced what my uh, perpetrator, my, the person who, who abused me, called love. It's not love. Later, he uh, says it's his dad, uh, by the way. So uh, just a moment to say that whatever I think of the speaking style, uh, that's, a, that's a terrible thing for anyone to go through. Uh, my heart goes out to him, whatever that means. And uh, I hope that people who suffer through this and survive, because not everyone does, uh, find uh, healthy outlets of, uh, of help and healing. So um, I just wanted to make a quick PSA note there. 100% selfish. 100% violent. Some of you guys have experienced that. Some of you guys have experienced that love, that kind of 
love in the church. Some of you guys, maybe it's not violent, it's not molestation, it's not taken advantage of, but, but it feels like someone has just pulled a fast one on you. Like, you're safe here. No, yeah, you're welcome here. Ooh. Has anyone felt that? Okay, the reason he's bringing this up as an example is, is, is because it is an extremely common experience for people yeah, to feel just, bamboozled by their church. Yeah, I was just thinking that was that's pretty much the uh, how you get the angry atheist is when uh, Christians leave their faith and then they feel bamboozled by the entire religion. Yeah, I, I would say that that is true for some, but not all. Uh, many, many atheists uh, had very different reasons for leaving, and it's not uh, because they were angry with their community. But I think that after the fact, uh, there there is often a sense of, I was deceived. But that sense of being deceived is not necessarily what caused them to leave. That's a thing that they... Uh, realize after they have yeah. left and after they've had a chance to to reconsider. So uh, I just wanted to uh, make a note yeah. of that. So there, there are definitely going to be some that leave because of that, but most that I have encountered didn't leave because of that, and they didn't get that sense of the full weight of betrayal until after. Yeah, and that's uh, what I was referring to. I wasn't referring to reasons for leaving. This is not love. Not love. I have nothing until this afternoon. I have coffee with a dude. I am happy to sit here and pray with people. If you have experienced that kind of love, there is leaders on campus that will stay in these seats and pray for you. If you need to hear the voice of does God, he the honestly Father think heaven, that, will never... Does he honestly think that praying for people actually does anything? I don't know. I go back and forth on this. Uh, do Christians believe in prayer? Do they actually believe that they've got some kind of magic uh, over the world so that when they do it, it can change an attitude or it can change the price of milk at your grocery store or change whether you get into an accident? I don't know if they actually believe that or not because they live as if they don't believe it. You know, people drive Volvos not because they're pretty, because they're not uh, Subarus, they're, I mean, they're ugly people. <laughs> I'm sorry, Volvo lovers. They're ugly. You know, they're ugly. People drive them because they think they're safe. They, they, they think that their kids will be safe in those cars. They're willing to spend more for a certain kind of car, despite the aesthetic. And so it's not like they're buying a Toyota plus prayer. <laughs> they're buying a, they're buying a, a Subaru or a Volvo. Um, plus a lot of, uh, insurance and extra airbags bags. So that's, um, I don't know that, uh, he believes that or not, but he definitely believes that it couldn't hurt. Yeah. I wonder if that's just so that, uh, to reel people in, make them it's sort of like, um, you ever heard of the, when the cults do the love bombing, 
where they uh, all sort of come out uh, to greet the new person and show them all sorts of love and consideration so that they they create a connection to that cult. I've never heard of that, but that sounds dreadful to me. That would that would actually drive me away. <laughs> so <laughs> that would that would honestly uh, creep me out. Uh, well, they target mostly people that are looking for a place to belong. So, hmm. so with regard to the prayer question and uh, abuse, let me just say uh, again for the record a PSA thing: if you have been abused especially by a church. But if, you, if you've been abused in any way, don't go to a church for prayer. I don't care that this preacher is going to be there all day. That's not where you need to go, and that's not the advice he should have given. What you need is a good counselor. And what he should have said was, uh, let me give you uh, a, a phone number right now, and afterward, if you need more resources for counseling, uh, come and our staff uh, can help you find the right resources. That is not a message you get from churches very often. And so in this kind of environment where he says, if you've suffered abuse, come to me and we'll pray for you, uh, exhibits a certain kind of magical thinking that I find utterly disgusting and harmful. That's not what you should do if you are a victim of abuse. And if Andrew uh, were with us, he would uh, break out one of his uh, handy-dandy numbers that uh, I do not have on uh, uh, on file. So there you have it. I love you that way. That is perfect in love, gentle and kind. You come up here and you experience his love. Don't waste this opportunity. I'm going to pray real quick. There's a screw on the... Okay, so he's about to pray... I want to pray real quick for for people who may have suffered abuse, and he's he's so sincere about that prayer that he allowed himself to easily get distracted by a screw on the floor. I'm just putting yeah, that out and, there. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, and then I was sort of wondering how does him praying show God's love? Well, shouldn't God be there instead of him if God wants to show His love? Well, no. You see, for God to show his love, someone has to pray to God to show his love. I, I don't know. Shame the devil. He's not going to get me with that. Did he just right, blame the pray. devil for a screw on the floor? Jesus, he did. what if I put a, just, just a hole in yeah. my pants and you just see my hiney? All right, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this is... <laughs> This is the transition from talking about something very serious like abuse to I'm going to pray for you real quick. <laughs> I am not seeing why the Spirit would have used this sermon for some kind of revival. <laughs> if there's people in this room that literally feel the weight of that perverted thing that one person called love, would you just alleviate that weight right now? Would you just alleviate the Holy Spirit, move through these rows. Move through these rows and love on these people. Jesus, if there's people who have experienced hypocritical love in the church, Holy Spirit, move through these rows and alleviate yeah, don't that. report it to an authority Heal them, or Jesus. police. Show them your true self. 
Would they be bold and courageous to ask for further healing and further uh, prayer in Jesus' name? Amen. I don't understand the necessity of this prayer. I'm, I'm with you. I don't, is this something that God wasn't already doing for these people who suffered? I mean, they're Christians. They're at church. They've suffered abuse, some at the hands of the church that they're attending. So why do you need a special call out for the Holy Spirit to go through the rows and give that person comfort? This seems like a performative prayer that's meant for stagecraft and not meant for anything actually useful. Right, because supposedly they all have the Holy Spirit already. So how is the Holy Spirit moving through the rows going to help them with the Holy Spirit they already have? And, and how is it that the Holy Spirit wasn't already moving through the rows? I mean, he's, he's there, right? He's right. Does he need to move through the rows if he's everywhere? So it's not hypocritical of. It's not hypocritical of. It's not polluted. Here's another one. Devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Who here loves giving preference to one another? Yeah, it's not, it's not our flesh. Like, we feel that. We feel you just that ask the who's tops and who's bottoms. Some of you guys are sitting here like, you were funny last Wednesday. Chill out. This is the word of God. I, um, Some of us need to know that we're giving preference. To, we need to give preference to one another. Following Christ's example, Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important to yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's humbling. It's inconvenient. It's sacrificial love. In verses 11 through 13, there's this word that I want to highlight. It says, serving the Lord. Does anyone love the word servant? Does everyone oh, love being love called servant? Pretty good I show on Apple TV. In college, I, recommend I was it. a D1 athlete, and at the last second, transitioned to playing at a Bible college a lot like this one. And I was so arrogant and so rude. I am literally the only person of all time to be cut from Indiana Wesleyan soccer team. And why didn't he? Um, me. Give the other team the ball. This is me if and he's going to be their servant, right? But I didn't have a way to get home. So I became a laundry person. Some of you guys do laundry. I remember I spent nine hours cleaning the team's shorts. I was a D1 athlete, thought I was going to be playing soccer. Now I'm cleaning their shorts. And people are saying, you're such a servant, Zach. And I'm like, let me at you. I, you I guarantee now. you they weren't calling him a servant. No. But by being transformed by Jesus, getting his affections we would see ourselves as servants. It's a call in our lives. 14 through 17, just another one I want to talk about. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Christian communities aren't great at this. <laughs> Rejoicing with those rejoice feels like, well, like you can't be prideful. What about celebrating one another? Celebrating people that are substantially better than you. Athletes, are you a good celebrator of the people on your team that play more than you? 
teammates, band members? Are you toppling over one another in celebration for one another's gifts? What about weeping with those who weep? Or do you say, you text like praying for you? Do you journey with them? Do you tarry with them? And at the very end, right, verses 18 through 21, it starts talking about never do revenge on someone. And God says, that's on me, right? It says, feed those hungry enemies, uh, give water to those thirsty enemies. So last question, again, All right, uh, we had a stoppage of the program uh, because I hit the wrong button and because it sucked. So uh, we're going to <laughs> we're going to go ahead and end uh, that video. Uh, I can assure you that if you were if you're thinking ah, but the the magical part that launched the Asbury revival was after that, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> you you heard the most exciting things. In the sermon, there were a few more minutes uh, left in it, not very many. And it, it, you know, if possible, went downhill from there. So, um, Darren, uh, first of all, uh, you, you've heard this sermon now. And let's just take me at my word that there was really nothing else uh, in there. Did you hear anything that you haven't heard before or that seemed unique that made you think, ah, this is why the spirit outpouring happened here and now? I did not. But are you sure it was a spirit outpouring that caused the revival and not just a bunch of people that fell asleep and no one woke them up when they were leaving? Look, that is possible. That is among all things possible. In fact, uh, one of the one of the interesting questions about this revival is how the heck it started. So, if this is the sermon right now, there's there's no revival. There's no revival in this audience. I, I think there were a couple of shots of the audience, and uh, having staged uh, helped to stage this sort of thing for uh, a religious adjacent uh program it wasn't in excuse me it wasn't entirely religion religious and i wasn't a part of um i wasn't doing uh preaching at the time but i was a part of an organization we staged an event and the event was at a church it was kind of it was more of a political uh type of event uh a lot of uh high energy speeches i actually did give one of the speeches now that i uh, think of it. I also wrote the press release for this uh, event uh, and um, some people that were a part of the event knew some people in the media and um, I also became the media liaison and so I got in touch with them got the you know it was covered by the news it was a it was a nice big event but part of that event was uh, just staging and making sure the cameras were 
placed in the right place and aimed at the right things and getting the right angle and then moving the people so that it would look like the congregation was full. To be sure, the congregation was not full. It may have been half full and it may have been a third full, but you, you pack people into a certain area. You've got empty rows in the back. Um, you know, certain seats are blocked off and you position the camera in such a way where it looks full. That's what that church looked like to me. Uh, it looked like, um, you know, the cameras are staged in a certain way. Maybe some of the seats were blocked uh, off and they were, you know, there were still plenty of empty seats to be seen. And so maybe this was a dead church that needed revival. Um, now I say it's church, it's a, uh, the chapel on a college campus, but oftentimes the chapel on a college campus is also an independent church. So it's not just a thing that students have and do. It's also a place where a church meets on Sunday. So it's, it's kind of a dual role. Uh, Asbury has had a lot of revivals uh, over, over the years, over the decades. And it could just be that they need revival. Remember, this is a mandatory thing for all students. They still couldn't fill up the building. They still couldn't get a lot of excitement in the places in the sermon where there were supposed to be excitement. And so maybe it wasn't because of the excitement and vibrancy of the sermon that the Holy Spirit chose to come in. Maybe it was the fact that this was a place that was so dead, it was an obvious need of the Holy Spirit because the sermon never got better uh, from there. And it, it just it just felt like one of the many dead churches walking uh, that I have seen in in my lifetime. So, how many revivals do you think Asbury uh, tries to organize every year? Like I don't know. Um, so there's there's a question about revival that I've thought about myself, this type of revival. And, um, you know, the question is, how exactly does it get started? You know, is it something that goes viral at some period of time? And if it goes viral, is it something that's manufactured to go viral? And I, I think that's the case many times. I, I doubt it's ever as spontaneous uh, as organizers would have you believe, because there are usually organizers, right? But but from time to time, something happens that is truly viral. It just it just happened, and people glommed onto it, and it became a thing uh, without anyone intending for it to become that thing. But, you know, if the question is, say, how many revivals have they had? I'm going to go over here to this Wikipedia article. Well, I know the Wikipedia article lists the popular ones. I was just curious 
what are the like the total number right so i cannot find it quickly i think it's this line right up here there's there's about 10 maybe 10 dates of um things where where they consider major revivals at asbury and so asbury is a re revival um hotspot it it's a place where you know they they have kind of designed part of their mystique around the idea of revival so it's very important that they're in, associated with revival every every few years and so you know how many do they attempt to start that fail the world may never know but i think it's unquestionable that some of this is uh contrivance by a university uh that has revival as a part of its identity and it really feels the need to juice that from time to time once again yeah, i'm not i'm not saying that that's the case for this one i i don't know Right, because I was just wondering if they have like a hundred revivals over the last fifty years, um, and they only got like two or three really prominent ones out of that. That doesn't seem like a very good investment. Right. So let's let's look a little bit uh, at this since we've got the uh, Wikipedia article up. Uh, so when thinking about well, how how does a revival like this? start and i know you're thinking what revival we didn't see a revival we're going to get to that it's an eight minute film it's it's short <laughs> so we're going to get through it um but um how does it get started well uh tucker carlson because there's no surprise that tucker carlson would be sniffing around uh something like this he cites a student as saying that the the revival it really didn't start until after this assembly when they were meeting in some small groups and someone confessed some sins and and that's when the atmosphere began to change now i, I want you to just set the scene you're in a fairly good sized building and you're broken up into four or five small groups throughout that building you know people huddle around and they pray for for things you know they just kind of break it down a little bit confessing sins is something that happens all the time in those small groups every time in those small groups every small group the reason they're there is to pray for people and some of the things that people uh won't pray for are sins that they confess in those small groups so, and so when someone says Oh, well, you know, someone can confess some sins in a small group after service. That's saying nothing at all. Uh, you know, the atmosphere palpably changed. How? It was a small group. The rest of the church wouldn't have heard it. Th these are, you know, these are, these are huddles. So it's, it's a very confusing thing to know what they could possibly mean by, uh, you know, the atmosphere changing after someone confessing their sin which is something that everyone would have been doing in their little small group and none of none of that would have transferred from one group to another so for for to even know about this confession of sins at that moment someone would have had to have been texting information or sharing information there there has to be some contrivance going on here because that explanation 
makes no sense at all. Uh, Darren, uh, you're my official reader today. So I've highlighted a, uh, a paragraph. Would you mind reading that? This is a, uh, one of the quotations. Sure. Um, for seemingly no reason, at first on Wednesday, February 8th, it didn't end. That's kind of the logical state of what's been going on. On the deeper side of things, what's been happening here since Wednesday is there's a young army of believers who are raised, raising to claim G Christianity, the faith, as their own, as a young generation, and as a free generation, and that's why people cannot get enough. Okay. Um so for seemingly no reason, we'll get back to that maybe in a, a minute, but um, I, I call BS here uh, because what they gave in the, in the paragraph just before this, uh, you know, talking about the person confessing a sin or whatever, makes no sense at all. How would you even know that? Uh, it's not the th sort of thing that anyone would have been talking about. Um, because once again, everybody's confessing sins in small groups, um, usually not public information. So this is this is a contrivance. But the thing that started to boil me a little bit, one of the things that started to boil me in this paragraph was the militant tone of the paragraph. It's an army of believers. Folks, I'm just going to I'm going to ask you, stop doing this. Christians. Stop doing this. Stop associating your religion with militants. Uh, don't do that. Uh, you're not an army of believers. You know what an army is? It's an army. It's not a church, okay? It's not a church. It's not a group of uh, people praying together. Uh, you're not prayer warriors. You know what a warrior is? Uh, it's someone doing war, all right? You're not doing war. You're just praying. Uh, for someone. Stop using this kind of language. It's not cute. It's not funny. There really are people who are twisted enough to believe that they are in some kind of army fighting some kind of war, and they are willing to kill and die for that cause. Stop feeding into that. Stop putting Jesus and faith and church and love in the same sentence as army. Stop it. And then the other little part in that paragraph where it has um, says something to the effect of, you know, this army of young people uh, coming together to take back, you know, Christianity. Again, a very militant tone. Take it from whom? What? What are you talking about here? Um, this This language is so off-putting, but that's how these people uh, who were there apparently talked about it. Do you have any thoughts about that um, paragraph, Darren? Um, no, except um, I think all that's pretty much what the Bible says, right? Sell your cloak, uh, buy a sword, armor of God, the shield of what's what's that, and the helm and boots and what all that. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of militant language in the Bible, and you know it can be easily written off as metaphor. But let's call it bad metaphor, and let's stop using it. There's there's no reason to use that that kind of language now, Chris. Of course, 
for the reason you gave, because in the Bible, Christians say, well, the Bible can't have a bad metaphor, and so it must be a good metaphor, and so uh, it's perfectly good to align yourself with that kind of thinking and that kind of language. Uh, and I'm just asking the more sane among Christians to stop it, to just cut it out. Uh, it The connotations of that today uh, are felt in the real world. Is Islam is full of soldiers of Allah. And and we know what their soldiers do. And here's here's the thing. There are Christian soldiers out there who are just as dangerous. They tend not to be suicidal, but they do tend to be murderous. They're, they are, we can stop, we need to stop this. Just stop it. So um, just before that section of timeline uh, there is a sentence. I just want to pick that up real quick. Um, the visitor just told the Washington Post that one. Yep, let me highlight it. Yes. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Um, visitors told the Washington Post stories of miracles and healing they witnessed at the event, along with unparalleled hospitality by the locals and students. Okay, so before we get to the uh, miracles and healings, unparalleled hospitality really because there's been many many examples of hospitality i've uh, i've been many places uh and i was treated very hospitably what is unparalleled hospitality what the what the heck can that possibly even mean <laughs> unparalleled hospitality are they usually rude to people what <laughs> Darren, what qualifies as unparalleled hospitality? Um, hospi hospitality that's not perpendicular. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. The chucklehead is back. Hey, chucklehead. Uh, how you doing, Andrew? Hope everything's okay. What what qualifies as unparalleled hospitality? <laughs> um, okay. I, I feel like I've come back at a bad place. Mm -mm. Uh, no, this is as good as it's been. <laughs> You're at the high point so far. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dude, I, I think I think we lost you again. No, I'm here. Okay. Uh, what what is unparalleled hospitality? When they say that uh in this uh in this Asbury revival, you know, people cite it uh healings, miracles, and unparalleled hospitality. I just <laughs> look, look, this is when you make a list, when you make a list in third grade English class, it has got to have three bullet points. They couldn't think of anything else. So unparalleled hospitality was the, was the third bullet point. That's, that's all I've got. <laughs> you know, we've got, we've got miracles and we've got healings and, uh, and, Nothing else but unparalleled hospitality. That's I mean, the, the greeter had a nice smile on their face. Unparalleled hospitality. <laughs> so, um, so healings and miracles. Uh, just, just for Andrew's sake, uh, Darren, would you read that sentence again? Uh, visitors told the Washington Post stories of miracles and healing they witnessed at the event, along with unparalleled hospitality by locals and students. Okay, so they told <laughs> no, the Washington. Just one second. Let me let me tee this up a little bit. They told the Washington Post 
stories about healings yep. and miracles. Yep. Uh, they didn't show the Washington Post reporters healings and miracles. They didn't provide evidence of documentation uh, of healings and miracles. They just told stories of healings and miracles. Uh, what do we think of stories of healings and miracles? Whose stories? I mean, I mean, you know, there's lots of stories of healings and miracles. I, you know, I always, always kind of, you know, is this is which religion? You know, <laughs> but is this still at the the chapel event that the students? Yes, this is this, to, okay. This is the part okay. of the Asbury um, revival, uh, and when they're talking okay. to the press about it, they told them stories of healings and miracles. Okay. I've, I've got a, I've got a real question here. It's, 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 this is not intended to be snark of any kind. So fine. You've got a lot of students around and they're, you know, they're at this, uh, they're at this chapel revival thing. That's fine. They refuse to leave. Everybody's having a good time. Uh, you know, it's, it's Christian Woodstock. Okay, great. Um, I get the, the healing bit. Fine. We, we have, you know, somebody regrew a pinky or, or, or whatever. Fine. That's, that's great. What other kinds of miracles did they claim happened at this event? If, if either of, you know, was, you know, was there, was there some sort of speaking in tongues and interpretation? Was there, you know, a pillar of, a pillar of clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night? What were the other miracles? I'm just, I'm just curious. Being the good investigator that I am, I did uh, look for information on that. Being the bad investigator that I am, I didn't find any. So um, I have no idea what they're talking about. What What are the and miracles? Because it, okay. it, it just sounds like a kind of a, a filler thing that you say. They told them stories of healings and miracles. I don't. I don't. Right. Need, I don't know what falls in that and, category of and miracles, and unparalleled hospitality. <laughs> right. okay. <laughs> okay. No, so I'm. I'm actually. I'm actually quite serious because right now what we have is the the same sort of untestable claims that very often are the the picture that we're that we're drawn. Right. So you say when you say healings. Okay. Well. Uh, was was some uh, was some twenty year old in the crowd healed of uh, you know of of bulimia, right? Oh, you know now now I'm not bulimic anymore. Interesting, but but hard to uh, uh, hard to verify. Right? In this particular Wikipedia article, it does not mention specific miracles, although there may be a mention of a cancer uh remission in uh the next video that we're going to watch uh so that's coming okay. up in just a moment but uh there there's no specificity for this and so i just find it interesting that once again we have got a movement of the holy spirit a that's noticed by the world and we have smartphones in every pocket in every hand uh, in, in some, uh, digital glasses like snap glasses, uh, we've got, uh, the cameras in the church. We've got news crews, uh, crawling all over the places, uh, place with cameras on 24 seven. And the best we can get 
is some unsourced person in the place telling stories about stories of healings and miracles. No healings and miracles in actuality. No, no x-rays before and after in actuality. No doctor's reports actuality. I, I don't even know how, how good those would be evidentially, but we don't even get that. What we get is the thing that Christians mistake as evidence. Stories of miracles, they accept as the same thing as miracles. That That's, this, you know, the claim is the evidence. They got stories of miracles, and therefore what Christians hear is, oh, yes, well, we had miracles. You know, this, Isn't that this kind of what they're trained to do? Well, yeah. When you when you uh, are trained to accept the stories of the Bible, what your what the Bible is is a compendium of stories of miracles, and Christians are are trained to view that compendium as the thing. The stories are the miracles. The stories are the proof. the The cancer healing thing it's it's always um, it's always a weird one to me because most people know that when we talk about cancer, e- even if cancer appears to be eliminated through some operation, you know, so somebody goes and gets chemo or whatever, uh, and, and they excise uh, some cancer along with that, the, the common terminology is still pretty well remission, right? So, that, so uh, we went in not, and we not did for the operation. Christian. Right. But see, that's that's kind of what I mean. So so when we talk about let's say that there is some let's just let's just say there is some spontaneous elimination of cancer. Right. Um, You don't as far as I understand, you don't ever know that you're healed in a capital H sense from cancer. Right. Because when we when we talk about cancer in a real sense, we're talking about how long someone is free from prognosis. Yeah. Right. And and so. Um, or, or whether a tumor has shrunk uh, to the size of being small enough to not being significant, right? And and so if you if 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 some God heals you of uh, of of some cancer, um, can you ever get some other kind of cancer later? You know, is is he, you know, is, is, is you know, he's, he's got this one kind of uh, cancer vaccination that works for uh, you know. Uh, your specific kind of cancer of the day, um, does it mean that you can't get lung cancer later on? I, I don't. I don't understand. My point is this: I don't understand the cancer healing thing, even in its even in its best light, because right. it doesn't match how we talk about cancer today. It really is pretty anomalous. We don't me. know. Um... You know, we never hear uh, the Christian talking about an atheist being healed of cancer. And and yet we know that cancers go in remission regardless of your belief system. The other thing that Christians never talk about with their cancer healings is the four years of chemo right. that a person had and the removal of both breasts and a partial lung and the removal of most of their liver. Uh, and oh, look, now the cancer is in remission. Praise God, we prayed for you the whole time. Prayer works again. Are you kidding me? But no, we never we never hear that side of the, dare I say, healing. 
Right. So I, I really don't understand the cancer when I, for years now, over on Still Unbelievable, we have been, we have been asking uh, that any Christian with a good conscience connect our show to a faith healer that can just offer up the goods that are being claimed, right? So you've got a faith healer, and, and this, this man or woman or child or whoever has the ability to connect directly with the creator of the universe and alter your physical state, right? And you would think, uh, we've been, we've been, <laughs> we've had this on offer for at least the last five years. It comes up in almost every show. And, and you would think that if there was a, a Christian of good conscience out there, and this is why I offer it up here, if there's a Christian of good conscience out there and you think that these people have direct access to the healing power of the Holy Spirit, we can put that kind of claim to rest right now. Just put us in contact because David and I both live in an extended community of amputees. Right. Right. I mean, look, you can, you can start with us. Uh, because we got things that need to be healed. <laughs> so, by, gonna... by the way, I'll give you a fair, I will change my mind. I will be as vocal in my retractions as I am in my criticism. Look, in, in my legs, I got five pins. And by pins, I mean like four inch long screws, maybe longer than that, actually. Um they, they not only show up in x-rays, uh, you can feel them. You just reach right there. You can no, you feel them because they're kind of no. sticking out no. right there. Uh, here, let me show you because you can actually no. see them. No. Okay. All right. My uh, my media advisor is telling me that I can't do that. Um, so I got that and I got, uh, you know, the newest addition to my leg, which is a metal plate that's holding things together. Uh, titanium, actually. Um, so... If you want to pray those out of my body, first of all, I will know if, you know, if you put me to sleep and I wake up and I see those things uh, laying around, I will know that they're out of my body. Because like I said, you can feel them. <laughs> you can just feel them. You can see them uh, through my skin. I can do skin. that for you. Uh, no, that's, that's not the end. Of it. That's not the end of it. Sorry. It's not knock me out and remove the things that keep me going. It's also regrow. Uh, the bones uh, and the muscles needed to to work them. Uh, do th you can do that, and it will be obvious within one second that it happened. Right? There's no, there there wouldn't be. I wouldn't have to wait on it to see. We wouldn't know that it happened. But you know what? Cancer is one of those things that you can't tell because cancer is a thing that goes in remission with with the right modern medication and so forth. Uh, tumors can go away, but you know what? You can even prove a cancer healing because we can see it on a scan. So put someone under a scan, pray for them, and let's watch God do a reverse amputation uh, healing where he removes the cancer from the body. We can just see it right on the scan. Uh, that would be the same kind of miracle as him growing an eye back, right? So I don't understand why Christians believe that God removes tumor, tumors, right. but won't grow an eye back. 
and I, it's I it's a very easy thing. The stuff that happens inside the body is hard. You can't can't really see it in real time. And cancer is something that uh, often goes into remission anyway, especially after four years of chemo. Um, but we don't have a method for growing eyes back. But if God was God, we would see just as many soldiers regrowing their legs and arms as we do supposed cancer tumors being taken away. We don't. That should be suspicious to you people. If you'll give me another 60 seconds on this. Um, Is there any way I could stop you? Yes. You, you <laughs> can just say we need to move on and I, I, and I do it. But. Yeah, bollocks. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Here is the, I just want your listeners, I just want your audience to understand how big a challenge this is and, and, and why I actually think that there are, there are no Christians of good conscience that believe that these miracle claims are true. I, I don't believe there's a Christian of good conscience out there. So when I say we've offered up this challenge for the last five years, over on Still Unbelievable, uh, Justin Brierley, the former head of, of the premier Christian radio show Unbelievable, former because he just left premier. I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, but Justin knows that David and I, who have both uh, appeared on Unbelievable, and, and he has appeared on Still Unbelievable, Justin's aware that I'm an amputee. He is in touch with with some of the the best Christian leaders in the world and people that claim to be able to do these faith healing miracles. But it's not it's not just Justin. We've had church leaders that claim that they have had healings in their churches. On still unbelievable in fact, uh, one came on and he was not aware that I was an amputee and he made these claims. And uh, I just asked him to follow up with me at any point. Just just follow up with me. You, you think you've got the goods. Just follow up with me. I'll come to California. My point is this. If you're a Christian of good conscience in the way Christians mean, that you should feel an obligation to take on this challenge you should feel an obligation to take on this challenge because it's practically part of the great commission and i really believe that it's not being taken on david because the vast majority know on its face that it's nonsense. Yeah, they 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 do know it. I'm going to um, I'm going to move I'll forward now. Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, do something if you stick around for a little uh, bit. You know those uh, numbers that you give for the, the abuse hotlines and uh, yes. uh, stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, give those at the end of the show. We had a there was a part of this first sermon where uh, the subject of abuse came up and uh had a little bit of discussion around that but i don't i don't have that particular package uh of uh phone numbers and resources and uh so if you have that handy uh be be 
prepare to rattle that off uh, at the end. Uh, Darren, uh, you have one more piece of reading from this Wikipedia article. Let me just set it up uh, real quick. So uh, there is a timeline. Uh, this this article, which uh, I would say that I'll include in the show notes, but I know that I won't, so I'm, I'm just not going to go there. Uh, any one of the comments uh, who can't find this Wikipedia audio, uh, uh, Wikipedia page for the Asbury uh, revival, uh, first, shame on you, and second, I'll be glad to uh, uh, go ahead and put it in there. But there's a there's a piece that gives the timeline. For this particular revival, and there, there are a bunch of Asbury revivals in the past. They're they're particularly proud of the one in 1970, the year I was born. By the way, that was the real revival, folks. You know what's uh, funny about that? What's that? Is that um, since uh, 1970? Uh, in 1970, about 90 percent of the U.S. Uh, um, identified themselves as Christian. And now it's less than 63%. You see, there it goes. There it is. Will someone please non-ironically call me the Antichrist? I have been <laughs> I have been angling for this title. I've been called so many things and never that one. And I think that they just don't want to give me the satisfaction. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, we have proof that I'm the Antichrist. Um, so in this timeline, uh, it talks about uh, the Asbury revival in particular, and it started in February uh, the 8th. Yeah, and it goes through the 24th. And I just want you to read the last two entries on the 21st and the 24th. Okay. Uh, 21st February, 2023, the university announces the service will be moved to accommodate the significant number of people attending, although the exact locations is are not given. Okay. And then the <laughs> hang on. No, 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 hang on. No, stop there. Get, get move past that one. So, all right. So this thing is so well attended. There's so many people. They, they just can't hold the revival on the campus anymore. They can't do it. It's overflowing. Uh, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's a biblical term. You folks can uh, look that phrase up if you want to. Uh, that's what's going on. It's so much revival that uh, Asbury can't handle it anymore. So they're moving it to, wait for it, an undisclosed location. <laughs> it's so good. We can't even tell you where it's going. We're just going to move it. It's just trust us. It's really well attended. And we're going to move it to a secret place. Well, the Holy Spirit will tell them where to go. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> it really is. Um, I think Andrew is still going, maybe. Uh, so uh, we will go ahead and do the last entry uh, for the 24th. I'm here. I'm oh. just looking up resources as we go. Sure. Did, did you have any thoughts on a oh. revival so successful that it had to be moved to undisclosed locations? <laughs> well, uh, look, 
All I can say is that the undisclosed location for this uh, revival is, uh, well, it's just as good as their undisclosed miracles. So, <laughs> I mean, at least they're consistent. If you're thinking, they got 10,000 cameras, many of them are running 24 7 all over the campus, and you, you got no miracles. The answer is they're happening in one of the undisclosed locations. <laughs> and, and by the way, having, having uh, attended a Christian university, the, the chapel, it's, it's always one of the biggest open spaces um, it, because that's where you put your chairs up to let, every, to let, everybody, uh, to let everybody come and uh, be forced to be indoctrinated. But here's my point. The, there are only a few other possible big locations. So here's how you find them, folks. You're looking for a big open location. It's not in the chapel. The only other place is the gymnasium or the cafeteria. <laughs> if look, it's not there, it's not going on. It's, look, okay. <laughs> it's more ridiculous than that to me. Um, you know, I've, I've been on many college campuses, attended a couple. Um, a college would kill for an, a genuine act of God that has people coming to it all over the world. No one ever heard of this place <laughs> before. They would love to be on the map in this way. And, and, and they, would, they would just open up their classrooms. They would kick the students out. The, the press alone for this is worth all of the tuition that they could possibly gather. There is no scenario where a college that has God doing, uh, let me get this right, healings, miracles, and unparalleled hospitality, <laughs> there's no way <laughs> that they would move that off campus where they would say, you know, God, uh, we've had enough. we got to get back to business. <laughs> so <laughs> so just the idea of that is, is ridiculous on its face. But uh, Darren, does it get more ridiculous? I think it does. Uh, read the uh, last entry in the timeline. Uh, 24 February 2023, the university announces that no more outpouring services would be scheduled throughout the university. <laughs> so, so, so three days after they have moved it to undisclosed locations, the university has cut ties with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> We're not, we're not your scheduling manager, Holy Spirit. <laughs> go, go do your well, own scheduling. We've got stuff to do. <laughs> well, that does uh, answer the first quotes question about seemingly no reason for it. So, so this one's always curious to me. I, I'm, I really have wondered this over the years. I, I encourage everybody else to ask the same question. Why do revivals end? Why do revival, does, the, does the Holy Spirit get tired? You know, okay. Uh, you know, I've worked for six days and now I've got to rest. Right? I mean, oh, no, no, no. Really. The Holy Spirit was still active in undisclosed locations, my friend. Uh, but the, but the, apparently the school was still scheduling them somehow. And they just said, we won't out of this business. We don't, you know, Holy Spirit, can you choose someone else? We're... We are, we are falling way behind on our bills. Um, 
People are calling us every day about this damn revival. Can you just shut it down? Our insurance rates are going up because there's so many students congregating in the undisclosed location in Waltley. I think you, I think you just landed on it right there. You know, if God is this bad at scheduling, it does actually explain a lot of the Bible. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is me trying to take this seriously, but this is... <laughs> It's it's so bad. Okay, look, I didn't I didn't have this on the reading list for you, Darren. But same same article. I've just highlighted uh, the last paragraph. Uh, would you Would you mind reading that one for us? And we I promise we're going to jump into the real video that lasts for eight minutes. <laughs> An unvaccinated person from. Jasmine County, Kentucky, who attended the revival on 18 February 2023, tested positive for the measles following their attendance at the revival. The case was the third in Kentucky in three months previous to the revival. Unvaccinated attendees were asked by public health officials to quarantine for 21 days following exposure and then get immunized. Okay, we may have landed on another reason why they had to shut down the revival. <laughs> because they knew about outbreak of the measles. <laughs> they knew that the press was going to go ugly. And they're like, yeah, okay, just shut it down. <laughs> shut it shut it down. <laughs> Get these fools vaccinated. <laughs> Who is not vaccinated for the measles? I mean, I thought that was something that happened pretty much at birth these days. You can't even go to uh, elementary school without uh, some basic vaccinations. How is it that we find, in particular, a church gathering at a Christian campus, enough people unvaccinated for the measles for there to be an outbreak? <laughs> it's become a trend. Parents uh, don't vaccinate their children for measles. I mean, just wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a conquered disease, and then it started popping up everywhere because you got all these pockets. I mean, we the beat US. it. We beat the measles. <laughs> Christians are like, oh, hell no, you didn't. <laughs> well, so, look, you can sort of see the reasoning here, though, right? No. No, I can't. Look, look I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty serious about, only pretty serious this time, because uh, who knows how the minds work. But you can, you can see a, a brand of fundy thought that says, see, man thought, Man thought he beat, uh, you know, insert some disease here, polio, smallpox. It doesn't really matter, right? And God brings it back to demonstrate his supposed, uh, you know, his, his supposed capacity to control disease. You can, you can see that reasoning. It plays out all the time. Okay, but if this was like some atheist convention and there was an outbreak of measles the headline would be god defeats the measles atheists bring it back sure sure um so what would the what would the reasoning be here for uh, for this sort of revival well the reasoning would be the reasoning would be this person uh, and then, and then you 
have a, a range of choices. This person wasn't a true believer. Uh, this person is uh, intended to be the demonstration that God is still in control because the measles are going to go away, right? Or, or there's going to be there's going to be some positive outcome. So, so no matter how you no matter how you gloss this, it will be turned uh, in in the minds of the of the people that really want to believe this in the cosmic cookie sense. It'll it'll just be turned. Uh, to, to some sort of story about the power of God. And, and if you think I'm wrong, <laughs> well, um, this, is, this is the story of Christianity. Uh, your, your supposed king got killed. And yet, <laughs> yet the story is, oh yeah, but he rose up. Right? Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that, because you're right, but the interesting about that is that they don't actually think it all the way through, because it only ha it only measles only attacks the unvaccinated, which means God would have had to mind control the parents to not vaccinate the children so that He could show His show off, you know, twenty or so years later. Well, the Christians don't mind saying things like that uh, unless they are telling you that God doesn't control people, um, you well. know, for some other theo you know, theological reasons. Yeah, God, God believes in our absolute free will, except for the millions of places where he doesn't. So, that, I mean, un honestly, maybe a person heard about the Asbury Revival, knew that they had the measles, measles, and went for healing. You know, because why not? Why do churches not have advertisements saying, if you are stricken with COVID, the measles, any kind of disease, put aside your mask and just come to our church because the Holy right. Spirit is working here. Why, why isn't right. that an advertisement? That's the same reason hospitals don't have miracle uh, healing wings. So, um, so let's let's do eight solid minutes. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, I'm going to interrupt the son of a gun <laughs> uh, after the first three seconds. Uh, there will be. <laughs> There, uh, let's see. Let me see what's going on here. Cancel. Okay. So there's going to be some um, uh, opportunities to to say some things. You guys don't have to ask me to stop the tape. It's going to be stopped many times. This is not going to be a fast eight minutes. <laughs> Saw a bunch of students um, worshiping together very um, intimately. It just everyone was crying. Go back here. All right, here we go. Any other stories come to mind? Just someone yeah. who's like had this like huge like revelation, changing part of being affected in some way. Yeah. Whether it's something you know or something you've heard about. Yeah. Can I think for like just a second? Yeah. Because there's so many. How this encounter with the Holy Spirit started is um, a group of students didn't want to stop worshiping and then they received the Holy Spirit in honesty and in genuineness and um, they started sharing their testimonies. And 
Okay, I just let me start you there. Um, they receive the Holy Spirit in honesty and genuineness. Uh, Andrew already had the Holy Spirit. You're right. So first of all, they already had the Holy Spirit. I don't know how they're receiving it again, but even so, what is the alternative to receiving the Holy Spirit honestly and with genuineness? Is there a way to receive it dishonestly? Can you get it dishonestly by dishonest gain? Can you get it disingenuously? Because otherwise, why don't I have it? Um, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand what she say. Is this just? Is this just Christianese uh, of a of a certain kind of denominational mindset? I think that's what it is. But maybe. But I'm going. I'm going to try to to do something non dismissive with this. I don't expect this to go anywhere. Um, but but I'm going to give it a try. Uh, it might be that if you are uh, somehow being deceitful uh, about your Christianity, uh, or or you've somehow got something concealed, that may leave a, a, a sort of back door into your psyche to have a deceiving spirit. Okay, but that wouldn't be the Holy Spirit then. That would be a different spirit. Right, but you would think, it, it, you know, you can sort of see the reason. You might think it was the Holy Spirit, and this is, and then you might come up with some kind of passage like this is this is why Jesus says, "Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven," because there's there's some sort of spirit that deceived them. Okay, so is this the first time in twenty years someone received the Spirit uh, with honesty and genuineness? Because otherwise, why didn't this break out every day in chapel? Well, if it's a revival, does that mean that the uh, Christians going there are ones that don't have the Holy Spirit? How many people going to a conservative Christian college? I don't know how conservative this is, a Pentecostal Christian college. Uh, it's a liberal who, arts who uh, Christian are, college. Right. But, you know, unless you're... I don't know, Yale or something. I don't, I don't know how many people are making that pilgrimage to that college when there are other less expensive schools that they could go to. So, I mean, they so, must have one hell of a cheerleading squad um, if, if they're attracting a bunch of students that aren't Christians. But once again, doesn't matter. Why ever it is, people are receiving the Holy Spirit every day, one would think. And so, you know, is it, you know, same question. Is this the first time in 20 years that anyone uh, received the Holy Spirit and genuineness and honesty? How does that make sense? Well, just to add to that pack of questions, there are lots of Christian colleges out there. There are probably several in every state. There are certainly several in my home state. Um, does is is this revival intended to demonstrate that that particular uh, that particular brand of Christianity that's practiced at that university or college? I don't I don't know whether they have university status, so my apologies. Um, but is that brand of Christianity that's practiced at that school and any affiliated churches is this is this revival intended to demonstrate that it is 
that not only are these people being revived, but that denomination is the way to uh, ultimate salvation? No, uh, I can answer that um, better now than I could have earlier today because I uh, read the whole Wikipedia article and it makes reference to uh, a, a boast of this being impactful to, and it lists a whole variety of denominations, including Roman Catholicism and, you know, talks about all of the people that oh, wow. were represented, uh, all the groups that were represented here. So they're, they're wanting it to seem like a global ecumenical movement of the spirit uh, on all people everywhere, which is, of course, one of the things that these types of revivals are, are seeking to do is to put themselves on the map. This is the center of Holy Spirit activity. And if you want some of this stuff, you need to come here. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, until, until, you know, our insurance company, uh, comes around and we have to shut down my Holy Spirit, you know, uh, you know, until the measles, uh, outbreaks comes and we have to show the Holy Spirit the door. Um, so yeah, this, this just feels like, um, Christianese that's not very well thought out because I don't think that she the the young lady who's speaking right now, and I'm, I'm not trying to denigrate her, but I just don't think that she thought about the um, the consequences of her words, the, the ultimate conclusions that it might lead to. And this is this is the kind of mindless Christianese that Christians give without thinking uh, about it. I want to do a show on just Christianese and just uh, examining all of the you know specific kind of things, Christian-y things that Christians say but never think about. I'll, I'll put that, that together at some point. But this is this is just one of them. Um, so something special here happened. Uh, some kids hung around after church. By the way, with all chapels, devos, you name it, kids are always hanging around doing more singing, more praying. This is, this is not uncommon. This is normal. This is normal uh, behavior yeah. for these kinds of things. So... Yep. The only thing that you could say is abnormal is some way that they started receiving the Holy Spirit. They they uh, received the Holy Spirit with honesty and genuineness, and that just doesn't make sense. Okay, we're blasting through this eight minutes. Here we go. Then it didn't stop. I walked um, into the chapel and saw a bunch of students um, worshiping together very... Um, intimately it just everyone was crying <laughs> hands were in the air it was just showcasing the love of god in so many ways that so i what's had with kind the of whole forgotten about and um i remember i was with a friend and we were standing in the doorway and i turned to him and i said i don't know what they have but whatever it is i want this okay I, I said, there we're stopping all right darren uh you were asking about the uh the lifting of holy hands by the way in the Bible, look it up. Uh, go go for it, Darren. Uh, your question, I didn't mean to preempt you there. Oh, I was just curious what the whole hand thing was about. Is that like actual described in the Bible? So that's why people do that? Because it seems to be fairly common. That exact phrase that I just yeah. gave is um, uh, a part of, uh, I want to say, First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, whichever chapter deals with women shutting the fuck up and being saved uh, through childbearing. Just before that, it talks about 
lifting holy hands to the Lord. So um, does it mean that you actually need to be in a posture of raised hands? I doubt it, but that's the kind of nut jobbery uh, literal uh, readings of texts brings you to. But when you when you can get this kind of thing started, when you can get this when you can get this sort of physical movement going, and it can be quite a this can turn into a sort of really vigorous uh, sort of moving around. Some people run with their hands in the air. They they sway back and forth. All, all sorts of you just see it in person sometimes. Um, there's a there's a real endorphin rush mm-hmm. that can be and and often often does accompany these things. It's like doing a wave and, at a football game. Uh, yeah. you may you may not yeah. be feeling it at home, but I assure you when you are among a hundred and two thousand of your closest friends and the wave is hitting your section, you're getting up. Yeah, group yeah. group mentality. Yeah. And and so it's not surprising to me that this young lady uh, looks to her boyfriend or friend or whatever. It, it I'm not being dismissive of her, right? Um, because she could be a lesbian. It, you don't 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 be such a bigot. Yeah, and at a well, okay, Christian so, college like I, that, she may not even be allowed to date. I'm, well, so just just delete dated, that. You know, edit edit. Um, <laughs> No, no PDA, no public displays of affection where I, where I started school. Uh, but my, my point is, it's not surprising to hear her say, I want what they have. This kind of thing doesn't just happen at Christian universities in the chapel where the, where the kids are singing spiritual songs. It happens at rock concerts with mosh pit. Look, <laughs> folks, they, these people actually put on metal things and hit each other with them in mosh pits and people go, I, yeah, that looks like a good idea. Let let me let me go down there where people are drawing blood on each other. It it's not surprising, uh, even a little, that she would walk in and say, "I want ever, I want whatever they have." We do this in non-religious settings. Um, you know, we do it at rock concerts. We do it at country music concerts. We do it uh, in bars. Uh, nudist beaches it doesn't matter this is what people do about things that they're passionate about regardless regardless yeah. of the subject you had to, you had to bring up nudist beaches um so well, i mean you know it, when you when you put a whole bunch of people together uh, of, of course you want what they have that's not that's not what this means okay uh so let me let me just say this is this is why i stopped at this particular point this uh this idea it's a epistemology is not the right word i was going to say it's an epistemology fail but it's a fail of some kind that deserves a moment to be explored so you uh see other people having a good time and maybe you're the kind of person who doesn't have a good time in life. Maybe you spend much of your life in depression and anxiety. Maybe, you know, any number of reasons, you know, you can't, you find it hard to make friends. You see people laughing and together and having a good time. And you think whatever's going on, I just want what they have. That that's actually the way to land yourself into all kinds of hot water. Uh, So I understand on the one hand that 
you see someone with a what uh, what is an apparent joy that you don't have, and you think I I want to have joy too, but first of all, you don't know if they're having actual joy. That just might be what it looks like on the surface. They they might be two minutes from suicide, and so to make that kind of observation of I want whatever they have on your on a surface appearance that someone's doing better than you. You know, this is this is the Instagram um, story. You know, people see other people's having these perfect lives. You know, I want that. They're not having perfect lives, folks. Uh, and it's a, it's an illusion. So first, it could be illusory. Second, you don't know what they did to get that seemingly euphoric state. They might be drugged to the eyeballs uh, with meth drunk on a, a 12 pack. Uh, and you know, Lord only knows what else their, their brain owned cult theology. They've, they've bought into a cult Stockholm syndrome, any number of things that could get them to that state where they seem happy. And you're looking at it and you're saying, I don't care what it is. I just want, I want what they got. You should stop. You should think you should investigate what is actually going on because the fact of the matter is there are many situations, many and more situations where you don't actually want what they have. And you need to stop for a moment and evaluate any kind of situation like that, rather than just kind of shutting your brain off uh, and saying, Hey, these people have a love of God. I want it too. That's, There's that's nothing. a, that's a really bad place to be. It is. And there's another subtlety here that that's bothering me. So the way she phrased this is she standing in the doorway with this guy friend of hers. And she looks and she says this as, as uh, quoting her as closely as I can. I don't know what they have. But I want it right words very similar to that. So she's standing in the doorway looking at it, and she doesn't know it's the Holy Spirit. Let me just say that again. She's standing there with her friend. She's watching them, and she doesn't know it's the Holy Spirit. Now, my obvious next question is, why did she ever insert the Holy Spirit as an answer to the question of what they had? Right. And what happens when, you know, someone says, okay, great, let me initiate you. And they pass her a roach. Um, roach people, that's from the 70s, isn't older. It's never mind. Um, that what happens when she gets that? She's young and impressionable and she wants what they have. So she's gonna, she's gonna draw from it because she, she has shut off her, uh, higher uh, functioning and has just decided, I want whatever they have, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is, but the end result looks like fun. And I want that fun. Right. And Darren, Darren, on the other hand, is saying, uh, yeah, pass the roach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I find this kind of, I, I find this kind of thing uh, very it's one of the things I hate most about Christianity is there is how they pray and are just 
how they prey on uh, vulnerable people like this. Yeah, and and you know she's probably she's she's probably otherwise uh, perfectly reasonable. You know, it's it's not like she walks out in the parking lot and sees that she's got a quarter of a tank of gas, and and prays for gas to be put in her car, right? No, she, she probably does what everybody else does. She looks at it and she goes, oh, I've got a ways to go. Let me go to the gas station first, fill up my car, right? She's probably perfectly reasonable otherwise. And so the, the, the question that remains to be answered, and David, this is really the, the purpose of your whole show. And I think, I think it's a, a good one uh, for, for this segment, for, for this particular episode, is how do you get how do you get from there is this revival, which was obviously a thing, no matter how big it was, it's probably a lot smaller than what's being claimed. But how do you get from there's this revival to there is a God who sponsored this revival somehow? I, I just think that when you want something like she wants this, you know, feeling of euphoria, you can yeah. insert any story that works for you. And so it obviously, you know, the story of the Holy Spirit works for her, her here. But I, I will say this uh, it, at risk of belaboring the eight minutes is, um, I, you know, when I see her, you know, I've, I've been there at least a little. I, I didn't spend much of my life here, but I've, I've seen it uh, in lots of people, you know, as a camp counselor and youth minister and preacher, you, you see a lot of this. And it's uh, some young person who is very, very dissatisfied with their life. Somehow there's, there's something wrong, you know, that they, they think is wrong anyway. They feel a lot of teen angst and, uh, you know, often it's even preteen uh, angst and they, they just are, they become very vulnerable and they're latching on to anything and anyone that looks like they have some kind of answer and can offer them something better. And I, I would say that if you're, if you are feeling that way about your life, so that a group of people singing songs and raising their hands and, you know, being in fellowship at a church, if that actually looks better to you than the life you're living, the answer may not be go to that church. The answer may be go and see a counselor uh, and talk to someone that you trust or is a professional uh, in your life, because there may be something else uh, going on. Uh, so that would, that would be that thing. And don't think that everybody who seems happier than you has some kind of answer to your misery. That's all. Our world is dark. Okay. Did you, uh, I don't know if you guys can see the video, but in this in this video, you see uh, people jumping up and down, and there's one lady who's spinning. Uh, and and uh, again, I would say that 
when your when your euphoria gets to this point, your your higher functionings, your higher functioning uh, part of your brain is not being activated here. Uh, and and so at some point you need to guard yourself against situations where you end up like this, unless you you know that you're in a a, a relatively well defined space, like say a football stadium, and there's a game going on, and so you you can let yourself go because you understand that there are actually no consequences except that the camera is going to catch you doing something stupid and your boss is going to say, oh, you called in sick. <laughs> so those are, you know, there are very limited consequences uh, at a football game to this. But at this, at this place in a church where there are people who, who seek to manipulate you, these people jumping up and down and spinning around have left their hiring, uh, higher faculties and given themselves over to an experience, uh, experience that has made them extraordinarily uh, vulnerable. In fact, I'll just uh, back it up a few seconds so that um, you all can see it again if you're just playing this in the background. But you need to see this. This isn't even as energetic as it gets in charismatic churches. I can tell you, it gets way more energetic uh, than this. Uh, Andrew, Darren, did you have anything... Uh, to add uh, before I hit this button, you can run it for my for, for me. I'm, I don't. No. Students um, worshiping together very um, intimately. It just everyone was crying. Hands were in the air. It was just showcasing the love of God in so many ways that I had kind of forgotten about. And um, I remember I was with a friend, and we were standing in the doorway. And I turned to him and I said, I don't know what they have, but whatever it is, I want this. There's the jumping, spinning. The world is dark and our students are hurting and they're, they're lonely, they're angry, they're desperate. And so they've been praying for change. Yes, they're vulnerable. That's what she said. Uh, the world is dark and uh, kids are vulnerable. Let's get them. And we've had a lot of great moments on our campus, great chapel services, great speakers, great intentionality, great prayer meetings. And I think after the service on this just regular chapel day, God just started working in their hearts and he's been working in their hearts, but they were obedient to it. You know, so he's been working in their hearts, but today they were obedient to it. Now, every other day for the last 20 years, no obedience at all, uh, but today, <laughs> That's exactly what I, I don't know what any of that meant. And and by the way, the world is dark, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Uh, here's the obvious question. You're at a Christian school. What protection you were you providing up, up, up until this, uh, up until this revival? I mean, the, the students are there and, and apparently, Apparently, they're suffering all of the same things that young people on other college campuses that aren't Christian campuses suffer. Right. So, you know, what are what are you doing for these children the rest of the time that there's not some crazy revival? Teens are full of angst. Young adults are full of angst. This this is not a spiritual reality. This is a part of the maturation process. When you think about 
how did this start? Um, it was nothing anybody did. It was nothing Asbury did. It was nothing that Zach Meercreeps did. It was nothing that any student did. Um, you know, I believe that it was just a like a pure and a deep cry for more of God's spirit. That Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, somebody. I, I, I just wanted to know what that name was again. Zach, what? <laughs> yeah, I can't Sorry. help you. Okay, I, I'm not listening that close. The students had, and look where it's gotten us. And so we have people from all over the world now. I was one of the people who stayed um, immediately after the chapel service. So we had kind of a soft ending. Um, we said people are allowed to continue to worship, um, but I just, I just continued to sit in my seat and pray and just reflect on who God was. Went to my 12 o'clock class, and then when I got out of class, I heard the singing, and I said, "Okay, that's that's weird. Why is this still continuing?" Um, so I went back up, for it to continue. and it it was surreal. The peace that was in the room um, was unexplainable, and a couple of buddies and I just went to run around to the different classrooms and barged in on classes and said, revival's happening. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but no one did anything. They just planned it and marketed it and <laughs> multimedia um, blitz. Up until that moment, uh, all he's describing is a typical chapel service. I mean, honestly, that's people hang around and they talk and they spew their angst and they pray. This is a Christian college. It's just what happens but at some point he starts running uh to various classes i assume these classes are going on and he's like it's happened it's finally happened revival revival is happening people <laughs> and the instructor Last one was 1970 right and, and the instructor lets class out because he's afraid that if he doesn't the next step is a mass campus shooting. I don't, right. look, man, I, look, I don't know. This the, is... the, um, this, this campus, because they are known for revivals, they probably have students running up and down the halls every day after chapel saying, revival is happening. Revival is happening. <laughs> so it's a kind of a thing that they are, are triggered to, um, to believe. And so we don't get all of the, stories of when some uh, overeager student starts running around and saying revival is happening uh I, I i just don't see anything remarkable in what he has said here's a question that should be asked on a college campus i don't know if this was mentioned in the wikipedia article david but it, maybe it was what was the what was the faculty response to this did no they Keep, did they keep teaching classes, or, or were these faculty members swept up into the into the revival? You see, because the because behind this, the the question that I'm asking is, what did the adults do? Was was this revival? Was this Holy Spirit led effort to uh, to bring these children to God? Was it so influential uh, that all of the instructors? You know what? Uh, my physics class, not important. I've got to let this class out. Um, was the response that, that, that the Bible professors there are now studying this phenomenon and saying, here are the tangible 
theological elements that led to this revival. And we can actually study that phenomenon from a religious, from a religious perspective. Um, the college president apparently is not terribly convinced because they moved that revival to an undisclosed location. Well, and so we know that they were still doing classes because this kid went around interrupting classes. And we no, I mean, know I mean, that after it started, I mean, after well, that, right, the next day, right? Well, okay, but I'm just saying at that point, the revival had started and the Holy Spirit had not communicated this to the teachers or other students. Uh, and so it, Josh goes running around, a revival has happened, and I, I suspect the reaction to this was, ah, it's Josh again. Right. So, Josh, God's marketer is back in my classroom. Will someone please tell Josh to quit doing this? I mean, it's, <laughs> so. There's been a ton of healing from church hurt and from various traumatic events. There's Stop. Uh, tons of healing. So this is a lot of healing from, from church, church hurt. hurt. That's an That's an interesting way to put things. Not tons of uh, remissions from cancer, uh, not tons, tons of COVID cures, tons of healing from, you know, the hurt that we cause people. Um, just, just dropping that in there. Physical healings, there's been calls that cancer's gone, but then- See, there's their physical healings and calls that cancers are gone. There, here's a story of healings. I'll get back to this. Beyond that, something that's like, I think extremely incredible is, I know this campus very well, it's small, we're less about, I guess, at a thousand students, and I know exactly which people on this campus hate each other, and those are the people that I have seen praying together, singing together, hugging, crying, like I myself have had a list of least favorite people at this school, and I have spent the week with them. Well, there you go. I think that qualifies as and miracles. Oh, wow, kids made up. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's, we were, we were well, wondering. for the afternoon. We were wondering what the end miracles were. I think that's it. And it's been like totally life-changing. For some, it is freedom for the first time. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from uh, desperation. Okay, why wasn't it freedom from anxiety and desperation on Tuesday's chapel? Or Monday's chapel? Or Sunday's full service? Anybody? Day at school. Any anybody? Anybody? Maybe uh, for some it's freedom from addiction or whatever that may be, and for others it might be a first-time commitment. Or hang on, was everybody who was addicted to something freed from it, or was it just one or two who claimed to be free from it, but we don't know their names or what they're addicted to? Is this just a story of freedom from addiction, or or is there something traceable where we can say there are no? addictions on Asbury campus. Probably not. Really go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's just a story. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead. time understanding of who God truly is. I mean, for some, they're just praying for their families that addiction would be broken in the lives of their family members. So it is however the Lord is working in their individual hearts. God has a plan of redemption for our world, but God works in the lives of people and he can bring healing and he can bring peace in the in the midst of really challenging and difficult things. He's reaching okay, out to lost curious. and broken people. What was that? If God really wanted 
people not to be addicted, then why did he invent it in the first place? I look, um, God has a plan for Well, it just seems to me that if he went through all the trouble of inventing addiction, he'd want people to actually be addicted. Well, So why yes. would he cure people of addiction? Well, he wants to have them addicted so that he can cure them of addiction and so that we can hear stories about stories of people being addicted. I don't know. All I know is that if I went through all the trouble of creating addiction, I'd want people to actually be addicted. Look, don't you, you're mistaking God for Philip Morris. And he's inviting them into his presence and into his peace and into his love and community here on campus, and people just can't get enough of it. I feel like the first couple of days, I've just felt so much joy. Like, when I'm singing, I just can't help but like, like my mouth hurts, my jaw hurts. I'm just smiling ear to ear um, and just being filled with so much joy. As opposed to every day that you're on campus going to chapel, that's a that's a drudgery mess, but somehow this Wednesday, it was a joy. And I've never really liked praying out loud in front of people, but I just felt so like bold in that, like to pray for people and allowing God to use me just to speak through me to people for what they need to hear. God use me and speak through me. What does that mean, Andrew? Go. God used me and well, okay, I'll tell you what it means to me today. I don't know what that would have meant to me as a Christian because we didn't have that sort of, you know, we didn't have that sort of belief. But today what it means is that God uh, did the one thing that he uh, is supposed to not like. Uh, he, he took away her free will and spoke through her. God spoke through me. That That's... Yeah. Now, I guess so he, he puppeted her. Um, <clears throat> he, he stuck his hand up her ass and puppeted her. I mean, what is what does See, I told you what was going on in that auditorium? Okay, okay, uh, I'm, <laughs> we're moving on from that. I'm just uh, look, sometimes people, I am so crude, I even offend myself. That was not one of them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, Darren, what does it mean to, what do you hear? I mean, Andrew and I have a particular kind of ear for the, this is more of that Christianese that would make a great show. What is, what do you hear when someone says, uh, God used me and spoke through me? Uh, I don't know. Slight delusion. Um, I mean, do they, do they think reality. that they are not, that they're just kind of empty vessels and they are now God is talking through me. Is that what they think? Uh, or, or, you know, you're for people who don't know, Darren is one of the few of us who wasn't raised on religion. So, um, he has an interesting, uh, perspective on this stuff. So I'm just, when someone talks like that, you know, if, if they were, if it was, let's take religion out of the context and someone says, yeah, I know that there were uh, aliens. Uh, they used me and spoke through me. What would you hear then? I don't, why would it be any different when a Christian says it about their God? For me, there is no difference. It'd be, it's, it'd be like someone coming up to you and saying that the leprechauns told you that, or told them to tell you that, you know, you're going to have a crappy Fourth uh, of July. That's the exact yeah. same thing when I hear Christians start talking like that. Let's proceed. Oh, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, that's all right. Could she have? Re- could she have refused this? Uh, this using by the Holy Spirit is the the question that keeps rattling around in my head. Um, I, I don't know what she thinks the answer is. Um, but the reason the question is important to me is if this was a collaborative effort, if if she is just doing the will of God, that, you know, he's using her at this moment. Why not use her three days before or three years before or at any other moment in her entire life? Because there is a hiddenness problem here. If there's a personal God, a God that wants to reach out to you and let you know that he exists, and if it is also the case that there is no point in a human being's life where it is better to be out of the covenant with God than in the covenant with God, then the problem here is actually the God who is waiting for a revival. Because she was, she obviously wanted to be in this covenant, right? And it's better for her to be in this covenant. So why wait until this moment? There is a hiddenness problem here, and I, I hope everyone sees it. So there's a there's another problem uh, along with it. I might do a supplemental. I had three questions that I wanted to ask uh, about this, and there's just not going to be a good place to fit it in. So I might do a supplemental at some point this week and just deal with those three questions. But um, one of the um, one of the problems with a statement like this is so she you know, she's praying and God is now using her as a vessel. First of all, why does God need to use her to pray to him for things, right? So there, there are prayers that God wants to hear. And so he puppets someone to pray the things to him. He doesn't need the person. He doesn't need the middleman. So I, I wonder about that, but even beyond that, the question that I had was, what if she prays something that's not in God's will during that time when she says that God is using her? Um, what if what if she prays something that's just wrong or theologically questionable because she's a new Christian or whatever? Uh, then, you know, the Christian always has the out of saying, well, you see, God wasn't literally speaking through her in real time, but he was guiding her and any mistakes she made was all her, but all of the good stuff was all God. So how do we distinguish that? How do we distinguish that? The students should be able to go back and look at the cameras and listen to her prayer and say, this is something that God actually put in a person to say. We, We should be able to learn something from that. But you can't because there's no way to actually separate the human from the God-inspired thing. And that's that's where inspiration becomes kind of muddy and useless. It's a shell game. Okay. I used to have a really big shame about prayer. I used to, um, I never used to want to pray near people, pray out loud. Um, I had a big shame about how I sounded when I prayed. I thought I had to sound like this perfect pastor with these poetic words. That rooted itself in me at a young age. 
And wow. Jesus like just broke that shame of how I felt and like, and how I had put my personal image above what Jesus says about me. And Jesus says that I'm his son and I'm beloved. And that my purpose in this life is to just love him and to praise him. People have been reminded about the goodness of God. He was more charismatic than the preacher they had up there. Oh yeah, that was a great speech. Uh, I do worry about, uh, once again, this young, vulnerable mind now coming away with the idea that his purpose in life is to uh, praise God. What in a more ignoble purpose, in in noble ig. The one that's opposite from noble purpose, I can hardly imagine. So that as, as an intelligent creature, your whole goal in life is to set aside that part of you that you think is yourself and become an empty vessel for God so that he can use you to praise him. And that, that that's what you think of as your great high calling. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I always find it funny that uh, the thing that God seems to hate the most is free will. Uh, so, so, so many things that I want to say. And in the conversation that Andrew and I had that I'm not referring to, uh, because the audience does not uh, know about that. And so we have to do better uh, about uh, we talked about uh, that quite a bit. Uh, if uh, either of you come around for the supplemental, which I will almost certainly do if I think about it in half time, uh, we'll talk about that further. Andrew, did you have anything before I hit uh, play? I think we're almost done with this eight minutes. Okay. Special that it's holy. And I think a lot of the transformation has been refocusing on Jesus. And some people have gotten healed, and some people have come to Christ. Can you give me some details about the people who have gotten healed? There's that kid that uh, was healed of uh, his shame of talking and praying in front of people. Which are things we celebrate, but I think a lot of the times we are just so caught up in our schedules that we forget that God is always moving, and I think he's Mm -hmm. starting to intervene here. I really think that this is just a... uh, my generation and all generations just crying out for truth um, in a world that teaches relative truth and that there is no truth. There is absolutely truth. He is true. Well, wait a minute. I hear this oh, yeah. a lot. I hear this a lot. This this trope uh, that, you know, we're living in a postmodern, post-truth uh, world where uh, there is no sense of truth. Where is that being taught exactly? How is, I'm sure that there are some people who believe that. I have never uh, believed that. I don't, I don't believe in objective morality. That doesn't mean that I don't believe uh, that there are things that are true. I think reality is true. Truth is defined by reality. It is the wow. very thing that is. So, uh, I mean, where, where, where is this coming from? Because this seems like one of the great straw men of our time uh, hurtled against skeptics that is simply not true on any grand scale. Where does, where does this come from? What's this all about? Well, I know in politics they call them alternative facts. 
Yeah, those are usually not the ones embraced by skeptics. <laughs> so, um, philosophically, I don't, I don't actually see the linkage, and I'm sure that someone can cite some skeptical philosopher that does believe this, but I, I don't see any uh, overarching linkage between uh, non-belief in God and non-belief in truth. Well, this guy in the red shirt here, he's got uh, his uh, his truth that God is truth. Right. So I, I guess if someone says, well, I don't believe that, he would say, well, you don't believe in truth. But it, I mean, the, uh, I'm just I'm just ticked off by this repeated accusation that nobody seems to push back on. Andrew, this capital T truth, um, I, I think what we have to ask is if there is a capital T truth, uh, and, and by that I mean uh, some, let me see if I can phrase this in the way that some Christians would phrase it. If there is an objective lawgiver that gives objective laws, okay, one of the things that you would think would necessarily follow from that is that we all have objective access to that capital T truth. If we don't, in what sense then is it objective in a capital T sense? So my point is, if we don't all agree on these capital T truths, I can't agree that there is a sense in which it is objective. But even if we did all agree that wouldn't necessarily make it objective, though it would make it uh, a, a unique uh, circumstance that we all agreed, right? So I'm, uh, I'm unconvinced by this notion that this young man has access to some capital T objective truth because we don't share it. So uh, this might all depend on definitions and so I want to make some clarifications in my own definition. And Andrew, maybe you can uh, follow up uh, and see where uh, we disconnect if, in fact, we do. So when I talk about truth, I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about subjective propositions, and I'm also not talking about metaphysical uh, propositions that you know we can't even determine exist, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, whatever is, is regardless of whether we know that it is or not. So, um, therefore, you know, I'm, I, I can tell you that I am sitting in this chair wearing a black shirt right now. My camera has been on. It has been off. It'll, it'll go on again, probably before this, uh, show is over. And, someone else might say, well, you're wearing a bright red shirt. And someone else might say you are wearing a baby blue, uh, shirt. Uh, and we can, we can talk about, you know, what their monitors look like, what their camera looks like, uh, what the lighting in their room looks like, what their vision is like. Uh, all of that stuff has to do with perspective, but what is is regardless of one's perspective. So even if I'm wrong, 
about the color of my shirt being black, which I am not. Uh, but even if I were wrong, if all of us were wrong about it, that doesn't mean that there is no truth on the matter or that there's some kind of um, quantum variation going on so that all of the things are true from the various perspectives. There, There is one me and I'm wearing one shirt and it has various color characteristics. And no matter who doesn't know that, it would not change the truth of it. Okay, so there's there are some hard bits and soft bits in there. So let's let's see what we can do with it. Um, on any given day, I would agree that the reflection off of your shirt uh, is a given wavelength of light that the three of us would agree is black. I'm not actually looking at the screen. Um, it's okay. So, My camera's but, not on it at the moment anyway. Okay. But, but let's just accept that you're wearing a black shirt and that on any given day, the reflection, um, we, we would all agree on how we see it. Mm -hmm. the, the distinction there is that there's two parts to this. There is a wavelength of light that is being reflected by your shirt. Yes, that's what I would call reality. Right. Now, the next bit is much less objective. And that is what we call that wavelength of light. Sure, today we call it black. If I remember, don't, don't hold me to this because I, I do a lot of reading. I don't, uh, I don't always remember where I find things and, and how good the source is. But um, different societies have different ways that they gloss colors through, through words, right? And so even if it doesn't apply to your shirt and the color black. There, there's very often these concepts that don't transfer well from one language to another, right? And so even if it's not color in this case, we have concepts that we don't agree on universally. And so there may be a state of the universe that has some objective uh, some objective set of values. We'll call that the state of the universe. Our behavior toward that state is much less objective. Well, I agree with that. So uh, what you're talking about there is what I would put in the category of perception and description. So uh, how we see reality is not the same as reality. And how we describe reality is not the same as reality. Uh, so, but so what, that's where I don't agree. Okay. Sorry. So, okay. so just to finish that thought, sure. the reality is the actual mathematical wavelength, uh, in the, in the electric, in the electromagnetic frequency that, that deals with color. Uh, and then what we, what we call that from one moment to the next, uh, that's, that's way more subjective. Right. So my my quibble with that, because it's going to seem like a quibble, uh, is that you don't have a brain state that is non-objective. So let's say your shirt's black and I think it's um, blue, dark blue, navy blue. That, that conclusion on my part 
is just as objectively a state of the universe. In other words, there's no state I can be in that is not a state of the universe. Now, I may be wrong about another state in the universe, that your shirt is black, right? I'm not, not saying that your shirt's black, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that when I perceive something as blue and it's black, there's some, uh, there's some mysterious difference, right? What I am saying is that states of the universe aren't universal. Well, and, once again, that's what I call perception. Uh, so I, if, you're, <laughs> if you're saying that... Per all perception. Well, no, if you're saying that perception is objective to the person, I think that's probably the case. Uh, but that's still perception, and that's how we uh, see and describe something, perception description. It still does not get us to the actual value of the, the, the mathematical value of the thing. And so right. that's that's the objective. That's the only part of this that I'm calling objective. So whether right. we perceive, you know, with our with our broken senses, you know, and there there are reasons that our senses see things that way, so that that becomes an objective part of the universe. Whether we ever agree on the color, whether that was a blue thing or a gray thing, uh, right? As you right. know, the, sure. these kind of color tricks go, doesn't matter. Um, because that that doesn't mean that there is no objective truth. It just means that our uh, per perception uh, abilities to perceive are imperfectly attuned to the to the environment that we find ourselves in, and then our inability to describe that well to other people also speaks to our limitation. Uh, when it comes to dealing with reality, but it doesn't right, speak sure. to whether the reality, the underlying reality is actually what it is or not. Right. And then to, to pile on to all of this, we took, we just get this really simple example of a black shirt and, and it's good to start there. But as we, as we layer on ideas that, that we're trying to grapple with. So, so, I don't know this kid that was talking about um, objective and subjective truth, not the words he used. But yeah, I don't even remember what the what the point is we bounced this off of, but I find well, this considerably more interesting. <laughs> so. He was he was upset that uh, there is subjective truth being taught, and then you said, I don't even uh, know where he gets that because I don't I don't see this being done and it seems to be a straw man yeah. that uh, Christians are leveraging against skeptics. Sorry, not your words, just my, Yeah, no, those are those are close my enough to my words. Of your words. Yeah, no, I think I think that you know, my perception of my memory of my words, I think you got it. Oh, ow. Okay. There went that eye roll again. Mm, um It's you yeah. see it's on a recording and the recording is objective. It's it's what it is. <laughs> right. So the, the thing that I'm getting to is that the more sophisticated the concepts become, the harder it is to get at that uh, objective underlying state of the universe, right? We're just talking about the color of your shirt. And that's not as simple in my mind as some people would have us believe, right? There's a lot of physics that goes on there. And there's a lot of understanding that goes on there. And when, when he appeals to capital T truth, I presume, 
that he is talking about an ethical system that has at its core an objective lawgiver that gives objective laws. And I just think that, I think that is a really tall hill to climb from a philosophical perspective. Sure, but I, I think that what you've said there kind of hits hits the head on the nail and it shows where, where he's hiding the turtle. Um, I don't know what that means. I just made it up. It just came out of my mouth, people. This is how the sausage is made. Um, so he's hiding the turtle here. Um, what did I... I had in mind what I meant by that. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, truth. What? Yeah, he's... He's saying atheists don't believe in truth, uh, in objective truth. And he's using those words. But I think what he's importing is atheists don't believe in my idea of objective morality. So he's right. We don't believe in his idea of objective morality. But that is not the same thing as saying we don't believe in an idea of objective truth. Now, we might have to dig a little bit deeper, like the black shirt analogy, to uh, agree on the parts that we uh, understand as objective but there, there at the bottom is an objectivity known as reality. It is, it is the, the science and physics and mechanisms of the universe. Uh, and once again, we are creatures who are very oddly ill-equipped to experience it and understand it. We're never, um, unless we evolve, you know, with with a, a lot of cycles of evolution, we're never going to be very equipped to. Uh, understand objective uh reality because we we are we do seem to be very ill-equipped to sense the universe yes we can see certain spectrums uh, spectra of colors but there are lots of colors that i mean i say lots there are spectra of colors that we can't see and that's something just as simple as basic as color we can't see it we can know it's there uh you know, there are ways to measure things that we can't see, but I'm just saying that something as basic as, you know, the information hitting your eyeballs. If you have perfect eyeballs, you still can't see much of what's going on in reality. Uh, that doesn't mean that reality isn't happening. Uh, so I, I definitely believe in capital T truth of reality happening. I don't believe in the Christian idea of metaphysical truth. And in these are places where they can't demonstrate reality happening. Darren, what do you think? Can you save the former Christians from themselves? <laughs> Not really. In this case, every time I hear Christians say they've got capital T truth, I just roll my eyes because it's just an assertion that they have and they want to have the... Uh, the backing of objective on their side while most of their morality is subjective and just an assertion and nothing that they can prove is actually true. Okay. But, let's, let's finish this up. I, I said this was an eight-minute video. We're uh, entering our third hour. Here we go. Um, <laughs> we're we're, we're going to power through this. There's truth. There's truth in his word, and he's, he's answering our prayers. This isn't just going to end and everything's gonna go back to normal. Like this is changing our culture, this is changing our society, this is changing our world. Okay, just a, just a quick thing there. Uh, because yeah. this Probably isn't gonna, not the way he thinks. This isn't gonna end. This is changing our world. This is, you know what? There had been tons of revivals even at this school. Guess what? 
they ended and they didn't change dick. What what is special about this one? Does he right. think? Uh, Why now did the, the Holy Spirit ever call off a revival? Apparently, he's not going to call this one off. Oh, right. <laughs> Except, you know, that he the Holy Spirit has apparently spoken to the school, and the school has canceled this revival. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's here, and it's incredible. What I mean, cancel culture. It's it's hit Asbury. <laughs> Even the Holy Spirit is getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, the, uh, the change that they're they're doing is why uh, Christianity is 30% less than what it was. Our younger generation, I'm only 18 years old, and I feel like that this opportunity now has created a way of the type of man that I want to be and the type of person that I want to contribute to society. And I feel like that's what's happening, that we're, we're learning all these good lessons and bonding so much with the Holy Spirit that it, this is creating a new wave of all young people that are going to impact our country and the world. Wrong, but brother, just listen at the first few words you said. I'm only 18 years old. Bingo, stop there. Your brain isn't even, quote unquote, fully developed until you're about 25. You got seven more years. Talk to me then. Yeah, whenever they say that the this the kind of man or whatever person they want to be, I always think they've never read their Bible. Because if they've read their Bible and they're even a halfway decent person, there's no way they want to be that person. Also, no one knows exactly what they want to be when they're 25. I mean, well, I'm sorry, when they're 18, you you have no idea. You just think you do. This is part of the illusion uh, of the superiority of youth. You think that you've got it because now you've got a driver's license and, and your parents allow you to go to school uh, where they don't tuck you in at night. And now you can do more than a little bit of heavy petting in the backseat of your car. You think that because you have reached that point that you've got a handle on this thing. Uh, called life and the maturation process has come to an end you fool it has not listen to everybody over 18 telling you that please you can experience revival in, in any place it doesn't have to be in a chapel it doesn't have to be you know in church it's something that you can experience every day in your life the holy spirit is not contained to one place it's not fake it's something that's real. Okay, you know, it always inspires confidence when someone says, it's not fake. No, it's totally not fake. It's totally real. <laughs> I mean, are you con are you convinced now, Andrew? Huh? Mr. Oh. Mr. Skeptic? You just heard it. It's not fake. It's totally real. You know, Doesn't that make you want to buy it? Well, all, all I can say is if they had led with that, this would have been a much shorter podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> and it's truly why we say taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't truly understand it till you actually come and taste and see for yourself. I mean, I've seen like people be healed this week. I've never thought I'd ever see that in my life. Like we're not worshiping the healing. Like that's great. And if God chooses to heal, that's amazing. And it's beautiful and wonderful. But we're worshiping the one who does heal. I mean, there's going to be commissioned services where we say, thank you for coming. I'm so glad you experienced and encounter the Holy Spirit. Now go to your family, go to your school, go to your church, go to your community, and tell them about it and pray for them. And it's gonna happen there too. So while it will fizzle at Asbury, because it's- It will fizzle at Asbury. Now wait a minute, we'll, who's right? Who's right? I don't know, cause it, she has just prophesied. I consider this a prophecy. Uh, furthermore, I think that she is an uh, uh, inaccurate prophecy, prophet, <laughs> she says. It will fizzle at Asbury. Check. 
But the other guy said that it was not going to fizzle. That this was going to change the. Okay, that was right. that was so then. That was that was <laughs> then. Come on, the Holy Spirit is actively moving and uh, giving people new information. The new information is that it's going to fizzle at Asbury. <laughs> so please, quit coming to our campus. Please, we would like to get back to class because we're falling behind. Please, Holy Spirit, please choose someone else. Didn't you like the Jews before? Choose the Jews. <laughs> enough, enough. Simply must at some point. Uh, I think that it, it will must. be global for a very, very long time. Okay, so it's gonna, here, it's over here. So, it's gonna fizzle out at Asbury, but it'll be global for a long time. Why would it fizzle out at Asbury then? What? <laughs> so, well, in a what? long time isn't forever, so apparently it's gonna fizzle around the globe too. Yeah, but why wouldn't it just last everywhere? I mean, is it like a road show? Is it the Holy Spirit travels? Is it, you know? I gotta replace the batteries. We, we played this town and now we're going to fizzle out and move on and we're going to play this next town. What the hell? It's it's going to last at these other places. It's going to fizzle out of that. It's very, we've had enough. <laughs> Please let the fizzling start to happen. Okay. So um, this uh, eight minute video here, let me put my camera back on my face because why the hell do I have this thing if I'm not going to show it? Um, all right, we here. wonder the opposite question. Why do you have it? Because you are showing it. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, sorry. Here it is. Sorry. Here it is. Resistance is futile. Um. So. This production. This is a. This is a very well done production. All right. This is a professionally done video. They've got cameras. They've got interviews. They, we were inside the church in some of the parts. So they've got cameras in the church. The church, uh, Andrew, you know this, uh, whereas Darren, you, you may not be as familiar. All churches that size have a multimedia section. Uh, there's, a, there's a big mixing board, lots of microphones and cables. And these days, yes, cameras all over the church. Um, multimedia directors. They've got them. Yes, multimedia director is a, an actual title in any church of that size uh, these days. So with all of that, and they have shown us their video prowess, why did we not see any of the miracles that they talked about? Where were they happening that cameras weren't? You know, we talked about this in, in the... Uh, you know, the, that thing that cannot be mentioned, right? So there are two possibilities here. And only one of them is one that I see as parsimonious with the existing facts. The first possibility is that when the Holy Spirit works, cameras don't. You can, you can put whatever framing around that you want, uh, that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, the last thing they think about is, is picking up a camera. Uh, you can think of it as the Holy Spirit coming in and technology just doesn't work anymore for whatever reason, doesn't matter why. Uh, but that's, that's the kind of thing we're left to have to grapple with. That's, that's one possibility. 
On the other end of that spectrum of possibilities is it just didn't happen that way. It just didn't happen that way. So I might go with the second one. (laughs) I want to go go out on the limb. (laughs) What what am I leaving out? Is Is there another possibility that I'm not thinking of? You're good at this kind of thing. He's talking to you, Darren, uh, because I'm, I'm not good at this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. what, what, what am I leaving out? What are the other possibilities? The, all of these cameras don't work for whatever reason around the Holy Spirit, or it just didn't happen that way. Is there, is there another set of possibilities that I'm leaving out? Um, the dishonesty. Uh, the cameras oh. did work that way, but they didn't want to show their god with their pants down so they uh left that uh film on the cutting room floor i told you he was good at it let me let me uh let me just give a rebuttal to that uh argument though that you know the holy spirit doesn't work in front of the cameras um we saw the holy spirit working in front of the cameras You, you remember your people watching me on camera you remember this posture with you know people with their hands up as if they were being robbed you you remember that that was a that was part of the outpouring of the holy spirit you remember seeing the ladies literally bouncing up and down like a ball and spinning around like a child's toy that was a part of the outpouring of the holy spirit and so we actually can catch the holy spirit at work just not at the work of doing a miracle or healing us, anyone. You've got to stop setting me up that way, dude. You've got to stop. Okay. Um, so is that, um, was that working of the Holy Spirit? I agree that it was on camera. I agree that it was on camera. Um, is it the work of the Holy Spirit because it was filmed in in some religious context? If so, if if someone claimed that there was work of the Holy Spirit outside a religious context and we saw the same thing, how would we tell the difference? If you see what I mean. So we can trust this one because it's in a religious context, and and so there's some plausible. Um, there's some plausible foundation that the Holy Spirit was at work, right? Well, you have to ask them, and um, if they say that they that it was the Holy Spirit and they couldn't be wrong, then obviously that was the Holy Spirit. Oh. Well, they, they, I mean, you, you make a very good point there, especially if they say, this is true, I am not lying. No, this isn't uh, fake. This is really, yeah, this, this is not fake. This is actually real. Well, that yeah. Okay. So it was the Holy Spirit then. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's, there's, there you go. Look, I, I don't know how to salvage, um, the idea of revival. This was one of the, uh, three questions that I was going to ask, by the way, um, this revival, the biggest quote unquote revival of our time and the most electronically connected revival of our time where cameras are everywhere running 24 seven, including apparently Fox news, not one of them caught a miracle. 
So my other two questions, uh, which I will just put out now and maybe, uh, you know, have some conversation around later. It's, you know, it's along the lines of things that Andrew keeps bringing up that I keep not engaging with because I keep thinking I'm going to engage with that later, <laughs> maybe a supplemental. Um, but his, his question is why does revival end? And my question is why does revival begin? Why do, why do you, why do you need revival? What, who's experiencing revival? What is the revival intended to revive? Um, and assuming that I have the right idea of the answers to those questions, why is it ever actually needed at all? So I'm not going to go into my thoughts on that right now because there may be a supplemental, maybe not. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I want to explore Andrew's question of why does it end? Why, why would anyone, why would, why would any revival ever stop reviving? You know, is there, is there some metric that the Holy Spirit uses to say, okay, got that done. Uh, we can, we can stop now. Or is the Holy Spirit wanting to have revival all the time, but he's being thwarted by humans somehow? And, so, um, you know, if they, if he can be thwarted, then that suggests that God can be beaten. If I can right. quench the spirit a little bit, then a lot of us could quench it a lot. We could beat the motherfucker. Is I mean, is that really is that really what it's saying? So I mean, these are <laughs> sorry about. See that crudeness. There, there was a point there, uh, folks. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Darren, go ahead. I think you you were in before I was. Oh, I was just saying, skepticism seems to be a lot more powerful than God is. Amen. But maybe that's just a. Um, um, a misunderstanding of what all-powerful means because they usually if uh, they say all-powerful is powerful enough to create a universe but if you really look at it the universe it has pretty much uh, almost zero power if you add up all the energy so it really doesn't take that much energy to produce a, a universe as long as you put that energy in the right place so maybe god is just really weak maybe he is david my question about why does revival end was based on accepting the theological idea that there was a fall. Okay, so so the reason for the beginning, at least the way I was asking the question, is okay. There was this great fall. There's you know, I'll, I'll give you the Adam and Eve story. I, I shouldn't, but sometimes it's fun. Okay, so you get Adam and Eve. They um you know, they they can't figure out which fruits have bruises on them, so they you know, ate the wrong fruit. Right? Okay. Now they've got a problem. And and now you have at some point in history for, for some set of reasons that you know, are, are still unclear, but there's a fall, so you have a need for a revival. Why does, why does the first revival ever end? Now, I, I, think, I think your question comes from a, yeah, okay, so if we don't accept Adam and Eve, um, you know, what does that get us? Why does a revival ever begin? Or, or maybe, maybe that's not actually the, the heart of the, the question that you're asking. But yeah, that it's was some, the, it's the some reason that I asked about the end. Right. So it's, it's some of it, but I'm, I'm, I refuse to be baited. 
it'll it'll either come in a supplemental or it won't come. So <laughs> we'll we will we will see. Oh, I set you up for three more hours. Please. I know I know you did. Uh, so I believe that um, we have provided everyone their money's worth of zero dollars uh, and no sense. So um, that said, many of you listening are uh, wonderful, beautiful patrons. Uh, and uh, you have supported the effort very faithfully. Uh, Red Letters, uh, it's over on uh, patreon.com slash Red Letters. Uh, I have taken a couple of weeks off a little bit unexpectedly. I had a, a trip uh, that I needed to take, and the timing uh, worked out for it. And so uh, that was planned kind of quickly, and, and I went, and that's taken up a lot of my time, uh, personal stuff, uh, that I might talk about at some other time. But whenever you are hearing this, if it is uh, within the same day or weekend um, that I'm putting this show out, uh, then the following week, I plan to get back to red letters. But whereas I can grab a couple of chuckleheads and do a 4S, red letters can't be produced that way. Uh, that, that, that requires a lot of time and attention to detail and, uh, writing and research. And when I, when I don't have time to do it properly, uh, I will postpone the show rather than do a bad one. So that's, that's what's going on there. Uh, that doesn't mean that you cannot subscribe and enjoy the entire catalog and back catalog of, uh, red letters. Go do that now. Get a copy of my free book, redletters.com. Uh, patreon.com slash red letters. Andrew is over at reasonpress.net uh, and uh, other things that he'll talk about. Darren is just kind of around. So poke around on the internet, um, you know, try to find some gaming places. You might find him. I don't know. You can find him over at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. He's always there sharing his insights. Uh, any projects or things that either one of you wants to talk about before we go. Yeah, I don't know how many insights I share over at Skeptics and Seekers, but no projects now. Andrew, um, the only uh, the only thing that I'll mention uh, because uh, because it's probably worth just saying again. I think I said it on one of your shows earlier. I, I don't honestly remember. I'm starting a small business, I haven't been around as much. Your listeners used to hear me more, and I appreciate getting to come here. Um, we have one thing uh, going on, on Still Unbelievable, uh, in just a few days. We have a, a, a really big name um, coming to Still Unbelievable. Um, it is either Bart Ehrman, Richard Carrier, or Lawrence Krauss. Um, and, and so that should cover just about everybody's taste, right? Now, now I'm just pandering. <laughs> to get as many people to come over and listen to that show as possible, so it, it's one of those three guys. Um, we, we've got we've we've got one of those names uh, coming to Still Unbelievable. Um, the show will be out uh, in a week or two. You should look you should look for that interview uh, over on Still Unbelievable. Uh, and we don't have uh, a Patreon of any kind, so uh, support. Skeptics and Seekers, support red letters. And uh, that's uh, that's all I have. All right. Fair enough. I can tell you that uh, 
Now, I do know which one it is, but before I knew, I was given those choices and I reasoned it out very carefully and I was wrong. <laughs> so, so there, there you go. Good luck figuring it out, guys. Uh, we will, we will see you at that podcast. Uh, I have, uh, I have uh, requisitioned uh, cheap seats, all the cheap seats uh, in the stadium. So uh, nobody, nobody will be getting in on that live. I can tell you that. I, I will be lucky to get my requisition in. So, um, so. Uh, all right, cool. It, it, it's um, <laughs> well, it's also a large payment uh, that so the cheap seats are really expensive these days. <laughs> uh, by the way, um, still waiting for that check. In, in the mail. <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the look. Uh, this is this is real. It is not false. Uh, Where <laughs> was I? Anyway. <laughs> All right, uh, Andrew, I had asked you to gather a little bit of information. So uh, rather than close with a typical closing statement, which I will do when I do, if I do supplemental, uh, Andrew, would you uh, please fulfill my promise and read off your list of resources for people uh, who have suffered abuse since that has been a, a topic. And uh, even though we we can be quite frivolous, about a lot of things. I assure you that none of us on this show are ever frivolous about that. So there's a thing in, in regard to the National Suicide Hotline. Uh, first of all, if, if you are suffering from some, from some set of circumstances in life that makes you feel like you don't want to continue. I promise you, there's someone out there that does want you to. Even if it's just the chuckleheads here, we want human life to continue. And here's a big idea, thanks to the, thanks to the good people at the National Suicide Prevention Hotline that have been doing this for a long time. In the United States now, you can simply call 988. You can just pick up your phone and dial 988. You don't have to remember an 800 number or an 877 number or an 866 number. You don't have to try to, to look it up on the web. This is as easy and you are as important as touching three buttons and send on your device. Remember 988. Remember 988. Remember 988. Um, so, Dave, I don't know if you knew. But, I didn't. But that's how you get in touch. All right. I appreciate that. And uh, with that said. Sorry. One more, if you don't oh, mind. No. Uh, go ahead. I, I thought... Uh, that was completed the set, but go ahead, go ahead. Well, well, so that's for the people that are in deep crisis that may not make it to tomorrow. Sure. But in, in that video, uh, someone made mention of church hurt. Mm. We're all being healed from, or they are all being healed from church hurt. Or Tons worse, worse. of healing from church right. hurt. <laughs> right, right. There's another way. 
to get help for your church hurt. And I strongly, I strongly encourage you to do this. If, if you're questioning your faith, uh, first of all, you should. Uh, you should live your life as if you're in an X-Files episode. You should question everything. But if you wonder what the other side of the coin looks like, a life without uh, insane devotion to a God that you can't demonstrate exists, and you just want to talk with somebody over that kind of thing, or if you, or if you have some church hurt, but it doesn't amount to a 988 call, but you still need to talk to someone in the middle of the night, please reach out to the Hotline Project. It, it's run by the Recovering From Religion Foundation. You can find it at recoveringfromreligion.org. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the number right now. It's 184, 184, I doubt it. 184-I-D-O-U-B-T-I-T. So that uh, number in numbers is 1-844-368-2848. Reach out. Help yourself. Be your own best advocate. And at the end of the day, go over to patreon.com and support skeptics and seekers in red letters. All right. That's a great last word. And uh, with that, I bid you all a kind adieu.